I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever this is. This is Match Bailey alongside my critique partner in crime, Ricardo Medina. Hello, hello, hello. And with special guest, Julian Muse. Good day, good day, folks. Alice Oscura. Hi, guys. Back again. Somali- yes, Somali Polonia. Hey, everybody. And he who remains had to save that <laughs> one for last, Tracy Hutchins. Kang, 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 Kang. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And this is an episode of BBB Radio. So, yeah, as, as we mentioned here with the hero, He Who Remains reference, today we're going to be talking about Loki. And we're going to go full spoilery because we kind of have to, right? Um, also, going to end things off with Space Jam and New Legacy. That's the latest Warner film to, to come out from their you know, lineup for, for this year. Um, also, it's out some well, Sort of release simultaneously, so both in theaters and on HBO Max. But you know, for us in Trinidad, no cinemas, right? For reasons, so we kind of had no choice but to watch it home. Apparently, some people had to force their way through it because of me, because I <laughs> begged them in advance. Yeah, you know. But but all but all in all, though, like like thanks so much for for, for putting up with it. Like, but I don't want to jump the gun. Though. I don't want to say that it's a terrible film as yet, but you, you'll get to that in a bit. Also, today, the time is recording, a, a, a little film, I should say, by the, by the name of Aliens from 96, one of the greatest sequels of all time, turned 25 years old today. So, happy birthday! Happy birthday, yeah. Aliens. You know, we keep, keep scaring and shocking and freaking people out till, you know, die kingdom come, right? So yes, folks, a little film by the name of Aliens to 35. Today is the time it's recording here, so we're going to do a special retrospect review on that. Um, but before we begin, though, let's have to do two RIP shout-outs quickly. Um, Better Resistance Way. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, passed away a couple of days ago. Um, so for you know, for those who don't know, I mean, he is one of, if not the forefather of Rapso. Um, mm-hmm. He's a member of the Network Rhythm Band, um, which was a group that was established from the seventies, and you know, he he pretty much was one of the, the forefathers, basically, of of Rapso music, just incorporating calypso with more Af- with more African based music, and it was just more about creating positive music designed to bring about change in the streets, um, in the country, and the world as a whole, right? Um, as he used to say, the power of the word in the rhythm of the word, right? That's what he used to say. Um, you know, he had hits on his belt like Ring the Bell, Chaotic mm-hmm. Death, Rhapsody Take Over, Mother Earth, all of which I believe have, um, I think Ring, Ring the Bell, yes, Ring the Bell have a music video, but I remember all four songs that I mentioned there have music videos. Um, Mother Earth was literally a video that I grew up on um, you know, in primary school. Uh, I believe it was around the time when EVM Channel 4 and 16 literally came on air. 
that video was on heavy rotation. I believe that was like the only place where that video showed though. You know what I mean? Everything else, like chaotic that Rhapsody Over um showing like child too. Um but Mother Earth in particular was like a staple of you know EVM programming basically, right? And um of course there was also the Never Ever Worry remake, which um he did with Lord Pretender. That was like one of my all-time favorite songs. I love that video so much. It's one of those like songs that I just always like go back to, especially with the, the, the chorus now. And I mean, if if you've been in Port of Spain a lot, you you may have run um ran into him in some way, shape, or form. Like even quite recently, like um before the, the lockdown even started, I, I, I saw him in um in, in City Gate and like he would just be there ever so often. And unfortunately, he is another one of those local artists that I've just never really had the chance to talk to. Um, one of our, well, our colleague, um, Ansel Harris, I remember years ago, he he directed a music video for a friend of his, um, sort of a rap so, you know, soca song now, basically. And he was one of the guests now, so he was there in the video as well. And that was really cool. Now. But if I'm not mistaken, I think that was like the first time I ever like saw him in the flesh now. But yeah, I mean, I want to ramble on about, you know, seeing him in the past or whatnot. But, you know, it again, he is one of those people that I wish that I, like, spoke to. You know what I mean? Like, learned about his music, his past, history, and all that kind of stuff. But what he contributed to local music, though, I mean, yeah. I mean, that is just really, really inspiring, in my opinion, man. So, yeah, this this was a big loss, though. Um, it's not just, you know, the, the, the soak and clips of will, but I would say to see music will as a whole really, really feel that one, man. Um so yeah, I mean, not much more I could say. R.I.P. to Brother Resistance. Um, I don't know if you all have anything else to weigh in on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it was, yeah. Uh, again, that was the anthem. So, no, no secret, I was a, a little bit of a flower child uh, back in the early 90s. You know, environmental movement, Captain Planet, saving the circle, all that adjust. And yeah, um, but it was the, the anthem for, for us in the co-op down in, down in the Grand River and Matura, right? You know, no lie about that. Yeah, yeah, there's a big loss in uh, yeah, as as I mentioned, seen him in Port of Spain ever so often. Yeah, that's true. Um, I um kind of part of a kind of part of a local the local writers union, and yeah, he was part of that. Um, but he never. Oh, serious? Okay. Yeah. Oh, like... I think he was either former vice president or former president of the of the organization. I can't remember exactly. Okay, um, but he was he was promoting more um songwriting or or. Yeah, yeah because that's the, that's the writers union. Is there, is, once you're writing, you're part of the group. Like, okay. Okay. Novelist or anything, poetry, songwriting, all of that shit does come. So, yeah, uh, he came to like one or two meetings, but none of not, not a regular per se. But again, by then, you know, it was, you know, time passed, right? Uh, so that is, that is about it. Yeah, these are real big losses for real. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, any, anyone else, anybody else have anything to, to weigh in quickly? I just sort of remember uh, growing up and uh, watching that at CM2 uh, and 13 because those original videos, they kind of looked like they were on the set of Dateline and, uh, you know, they just filmed something there with the nice trees and the shrubberies and everything like that. Mm. So, you know, it's 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 Ring the Bell, which is still one of those songs, one of those classics that to this day, it doesn't, for want of a better way of putting it, it doesn't die. So Ring the Bell and Mother Earth, I think, you know, I mean, I still as an adult walking around, you know, legitimately, there are days where I would legitimately be walking around and see a flower and ball, oh, Mother Earth, and just, just <laughs> you, you know, he's, he's that kind of person. Yeah. You, you know, he had that kind of influence. I do remember 
um, I do remember watching uh, Never Ever Worry and loving that remix that came out of it. And I, 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 I have to say, in a year that continues to pull people from us, it was one of those things where, you know, getting the news, waking up and seeing the news, that brother resistance. You know, you don't expect some people to be mortal. So it's kind of, and I know that sounds kind of daft, but you really expect some people to just live on yeah. forever. And so when I hear that brother resistance of all people has left the planet, um, you know, uh, it was it was one of those things that I just had to sit down and be like, wow. Uh, my only hope now is, is and as I wrap this thought up for me, my only hope is now that as a local community, uh, um, politicians, musicians, etc., would do something, one, for those who are still living, instead of giving a whole set of speeches now that they're gone, Amen and two, you know, that they would just recognize what we have and use it to build, you know, ourselves. But, you know, rest in power, brother resistance. Yeah. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, a- anyone else? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I think you guys pretty much okay. covered it. Um, similar history of growing up and, you know, watching the videos. Uh, Mother Earth, Ring the Bell, um, reminded me of Never Ever Worry. Um, and actually, well, I've spoken to him a few times um, in his capacity as two co-presidents. Right. Yes, yes, yeah, Trinbago Unified Calypsonians Association um, organization for non-Trinia listeners. Mm. And um, yeah, was always very um, approachable, very professional, yeah. very, pretty easy to talk to. And similar experience as well to uh, outside of my professional capacity, just seeing him walking around, you know, Port of Spain, right. yeah. <laughs> as normal. Um, so yeah, I, I think he, it is a, a great loss to local music. Um, both as a musician and as somebody uh, kind of, you know, pushing the arts and promoting and leading an arts organization. Um, yeah, and, uh, I, I don't think we have another one like him. I don't think we'll see another one like him anytime soon. So, yeah, I think it, it is a major loss. Yeah. One thing I found out recently is that he's kind of family to me. It's like when I kind of, I kind of pop in buying something. He's, I think, my second cousin-in-law or something. Like, 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 like I was talking to uh, with my mom. Uh, she's like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, you related to us and so and so. I was like, yeah. <laughs> she had oh, to make wow. that up, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's really a great loss. I think. Yeah. Um, well, last thing I was gonna say though is um, just how he was able to influence. Um, a new generation of rap artists in the '90s, right? So you know, like acts like Kindred and Ataclan and um, and Tree Canal, you know, basically were were cheering up his music, basically. So, yeah, you know what I mean. So, like like we said, this this was a huge loss, by. And just when I thought the week that was it for the week, by Friday night, by I just did my my own business and someone on Facebook tags me on someone else's post, and I read it and I saw Bismarcky passed away, and I'm like, what? He too. So yeah, I mean the legendary rapper, beatboxer, producer, actor. I mean, y'all you remember him from that 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 moment from from Men in Black too, right? That that well I should say one of one of like the, the, the most memorable or I should say the most memorable moment from that movie. I mean, just to be honest. Um yeah. and I, I remember the last time I saw him literally was on Shark Needle 2. Right. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, he was in that. He was in that. And you know, because it was all self-referential humor, 
it just kind of worked there. It's just like, ha, ah, it's Bismarcky and he's in this movie, right? That was it. But yeah, man, um, he, he passed away uh, Friday as well. And I mean, for me, like, how how to say, like, of course, I think all of us kind of knew about him through the Just a Friend song, right? I mean, that song has, yeah. it's timeless, it's all over the place. I saw it quite recently for, I think it was for some pizza or some chicken and chips ad in the state, some, something. But yeah, that, that, that song has been going strong from since 1988 or 89 onward, right? It's, it's a part of pop culture now. But for me... How I really got into his music now was his debut album, um, Going Off, right? Which um, was released in 88, if I'm not mistaken. And that was where I was like, okay, this this guy is one of the greats, in my opinion. Because what he was able to do, basically, was kind of show that you could be goofy, you could be silly, you could be a comedian, and be a rapper at the same time. So, you know, it's not just about the fancy jewelry and, you know, having a chicks and all that kind of stuff. You could be silly, you know. The, the, the literal, the first track on the album literally is called "Picking Boogers," right? And yeah. it's about him rapping for five minutes about yeah, doing that. And what he was able to do very well, though, and something that you kind of learn later on, is that yeah, he was a producer as well, so he produced the majority of the beats on that album now, and the beats still slap like to this day. They still slap. It's very you know, old school, man. I mean, in terms of, like, the drums and all that kind of stuff, though, but they just hit so hard. And it just fits so well with, like, the goofiness of his lyrics and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he was just one of the few artists that showed that, you know, you don't have to be a tough guy. You don't have to be a gangster or whatever it is or a drug dealer or a slower pimp to be to be recognized as a rapper, right? Um, I would I would put him in the same class as, say, you know, um, you know Will Smith now. Like, back in the days when he used to call himself um, Fresh Prince, you know? And, yeah. you know, they, they actually collab a, a, a couple of times before. And as I say before, he was in Man Black too, right? So, yeah. So, it's, a sh- well, I don't want to say it's a shame though. But, you know, admittedly, like in the mid-90s where, you know, rap music got a little bit more dark and more aggressive. That was when, you know, he kind of just backed off, backed away from the scenes basically. But his legacy was still there. His presence, his character was always there. So, even as rap, you know, grew and changed over time now. He was just always there. I mean, just kind of repping the old school. And I love that. So, last thing I'll say, though, like, I feel like he, like, even though his career didn't really blow up as big as it did, um, you know, especially in the latter half of of his career, I would like to think that, you know, he was able to do everything that he could during that that golden age period of hip-hop. And, yeah, just, just pretty much just kind of see more people be influenced by him and just be proud of that. So, yeah, I mean, not much more I could say, man. I mean, he is a true icon. Rest in peace, man. Um, again, I don't know if you all have anything to say, like, you know, just seeing him um, on screen for the first time or just knowing about, you know, the Just a Friend song or whatever. So, yeah, take it away. Yeah, uh, for me... Good. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. Uh, no, sorry, I was just going to say, there is something that I, I, I think it might be apoc- apocryphal, but there is this shot on Reddit of uh, Dr. Doom playing the piano and he's playing Bismarck's um, Just a Friend. And he's playing it there on his piano. Like, yeah, it looks like it could have been somewhere in the 80s or something like that. Mm. Oh, uh, before, before and, I forget, um, mm-hmm. subject on Just a Friend, right? Like, you know, everybody loved the hook, right? You know, the, the hook mm-hmm. is like the timeless aspect of it. Mm-hmm. For me, though, is them drums, boy. Them is some of the hardest drums I hear ever in a rap song, you know. I want to make it even better. It is for this seemingly whimsical 
you know, song about unrequited love and all that kind of stuff. Right. But them beat, that, them drums hit so hard, though. Like, it, it shouldn't, but it does, though. Love that. But yeah, go ahead. No, well, it was, it was just to wrap those two thoughts up. It's just the idea of, uh, in terms of comic book, I don't know if it's if it's a real panel or if it is legitimately just something apocryphal, but it's this classic 80s-looking uh, Doctor Doom, and he's on his computer, he's on his, his piano, and he is playing... Um, oh, well, you friend. know, as I say, that's probably from one of those, um, like from the 80s um, yeah. Spider-Man cartoons, and somebody just kind of looped the song over it. I know, um, comic, uh, comic book of it. Yeah. Oh, the comic panel, which, yeah, I, uh, which I, I've seen, which I've seen as well. Sorry, right. so the, the heights for me was like, and this is an embarrassment to me, but the, the heights for me was like, I remember when Mario came out with that song. I was like, hey, this is a cool song. I moved on. Right, and right, then right. somewhere along the lines, I can't remember how it happened, and I heard the original with Bismarcky. And I was like, well, that just you know this this is actually a great deal more hilarious and better than what i'm hearing um so that's how i came in and that was years ago that was like mid 2000s or early 2000s something like that but again very late in the game so that's how me getting to realize who bismarcky was and then of course as you guys talked about men in black and then you start doing a little bit more to find out who he was and that kind of stuff but yeah it, it really is a loss yeah, it is, it is. Uh, Ricardo, anything you want to win? Yeah, uh, well, the thing is, he was, I, I, it was a kind of DMX situation, right? I actually thought he was, he died earlier, right? And then people say, no, it was okay. So it was like, he was kind of on, on, he was pretty close, I think a couple of weeks ago, right? So I, I, I kind of wrote him off back then. But then I was like, no, he's still okay, but I'm not sure going on. And, but yeah, so the, the final news on out, so him, him passing is really unfortunate. Um, yeah, he, he's one of those interesting like figures of, of because he did stuff um, in hip hop, right? In eighties hip hop, because he did stuff with Big Daddy Kane, right? And, yeah, and, yeah, he, he, yeah, they, they were they were like best buddies. They were, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting how his career. He is he is technically considered a one hit wonder. Um, but his his that song is so iconic. Um, because of the nature of the song, it, it's it's one of the few. Well, the first time you get a good sense of a kind of joke you have because of how out of tone years, how you know, there's everything about it. <laughs> the song, you know, how it works, and, and it's just a kind of it's a joke song, but people like it ironically, kind of. But people legit like the song because it's excellent production value and it's intentional on, on the parts of, of many of the uh, many of the people uh, going forward. Uh, yeah, I, I is he's he's a really interesting figure of how he shaped hip hop, but himself never really took over or took off um in in the in the whole paradigm of, of uh you know essentially the the, 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 his, the sorry the the genre right and it is really quite interesting how that that whole thing um his career is in in context with everybody else uh yeah rest in peace with Mark. julian or, or summer anything you all want to say about uh, his loss his passing sorry um, no, not really. Um, like I said, you know, I wasn't like a big fan or anything like like that of the post of of him. And as Ricardo was saying, he was kind of known, even though he wasn't technically known like a one hit wonder. And that's the song I know him uh, for. So um, you know, um, condolences to his fans and his family. You know, um, he, like, like I said, it's so it's always a a bit of a shock when people you lose people and they so they feel like they have so many good years still ahead of them 
you know, I'm not sure what his health was like or anything like that. Um, do you know what happened exactly? Uh, it was type two diabetes. He he suffered oh. from for years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like I said, sorry, I wasn't I wasn't like a huge fan or anything. But I I know I know how you guys how how into hip hop you are, uh, Matthew. Yeah. So. Uh, well, okay. Well, well, what, 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 what I keep, you know, um, kind of like poking it at you guys now is that <laughs> it's not really so much about the music, but like really who he was, like you know, any clips of him that you saw, like maybe with the music video or with Men in Black Two, or like you know the hook for Just a Friend. You know what I mean? Like just the the the, the persona of him now. Like yeah. if those things like stood out to you guys, that that's yeah, really I, what I did remember for. the Men in Black Two. Um, um, Troy pointed that out to me as well. He's like, hey, do you know the guy who was in Men in Black Two? He passed away. I was like, who are you talking about? And then. Yeah, okay, that's who it is, you know. So yeah, and and one thing though, like you know, he came out around the time when beatboxing was a thing. It it was a thing, right. but he made sure to do it way differently because there's a, a really famous interview where he says, you know, Dougie Fresh used to do it like this, and this guy I forgot his name from the Fat Boys did it like this. It's like no, I just kind of do it my own way. Like it sounds like literally I'm mimicking the instrumental to like a rap song. Like I'm just doing all the the samples. That that's what he does. So yeah, man, I mean, rest in peace to, to, to two legends there. All right, so let's finally move on to Aliens, man. So we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of it today at the time of recording here. Um, so I'm not going to go into full details about, you know, like the, the history with Aliens and what, sorry, with that film and how, you know, the whole franchise. Because Ricardo and I actually did that, like, what, four years ago, right? So what I will say is that... Um, I was not introduced to Alien or anything Alien at all, like property-wise, until 3, when it came out in 92. I remember the big marketing push behind it. I remember how big a deal it was. Of course, there was that, that iconic shot of you know Ripley, you know, um, bald Ripley. I know just the xenomorph just breathing on her and then his mouth, or her mouth, whatever it is, opening up, right? Mm. That was all over TV. So that was like the first time I ever hear about Alien. Like, what, what? Alien tree was this? Okay. So, you know, years later, especially like when I got the internet now, and I was exposed to this, this amazing world of, you know, classic movies. And, you know, I dug into the sci-fi genre even deeper. That's when I learned about the first two movies now. So I got into those films very late. So I saw the first one um, on sci-fi, I believe it was. Yeah, I believe I saw it there. And... Um, it well, it did admittedly take like a while for me to get into. Like, you know, at first, you know, you just watch it, like, all right, alien killing people on a ship, okay, cool, you know what I mean? But I think this was right after I saw the thing, so it had a you know, a, a clear resemblance now. Right. Um, it's only like years afterwards where I really got into like the 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 the, tech, the craft behind the film now. And you know, when I understood how big of a deal Ridley Scott was, especially after watching Blade Runner and absolutely loving it. That's how I end up like really loving Alien and now I regard it as a classic, right? Aliens I got into right afterwards. I can't remember where with Seashna saw it on cable, right? But that one got me funny word go. Um one thing like looking back at it now that, that really, really makes it work though. I think for me, like both films, like when it came out, like it was perfect timing though. So the first film came out seventy nine, right? And this was like around the, the, the height of, you know, the the supernatural haunted house horror um, horror boom now, you know what I mean? Stuff like Amityville Horror and those things like that now. So it's like, all right, we're, we're going to take that and we're going to put it in space. Okay, cool. 
in the 80s now, it was all about this America propaganda military stuff, right? So everything was all about the army or the marines or, you mm. know, the navy or whatnot, right? So in hindsight, now it makes perfect sense to incorporate that into your sequel to Alien. So like I'm watching this, it's like, yeah, it, it fits because in the 80s, you know, war and military films were a thing. I mean, look at so uh, much movies that came out, right? Platoon, uh, Full yeah. Metal Jacket, Hamburger right. Hill, Miss in Action. It goes on and on. Top Gun, you know what I mean? It goes on and on. And it was just such a perfect fit there. Um, so that was just like smart writing on James Cameron's end. And, you know, there's one of those things that you learn later on. Oh, yeah, he wrote and directed this. And this was right after he turned it other. And for me, he just absolutely knocked it out of the park, though. Not just with directing, but with writing as well. He was able to do his version of the Ridley Scott film now, but he just added his own spin to it. So, in a way, he's kind of paying tribute to what Ridley did, but he's taking what Ridley did and just amping it up by five. And it is just like what you call this white knuckle ride. So, it's just tension like everything was just amped up and not just action but just the suspense the creatures you know the the, the scares everything was just ramped up now and unfortunately all the other sequels couldn't even match what cameron did with with aliens right i do kind of appreciate each one of them in a sense that they always try to answer a certain question the first film asked because right. first film always come out and tell you okay we don't really know where the alien come from, but here, there's this old large spaceship, and there's these eggs and all these kind of things, and you're just kind of there like, all right, well, this is it, okay. But you know, it's your first film now. But with the other films, they just always try to answer a question, like, okay, where the eggs come from? Uh, what would happen if this thing happened? Or if if, if, a, if an animal gets, you know, in um, if, if a fish or end up, uh, you know, implanting an egg, and all these different questions that... Um, each film accent, you know, but yeah, I mean, the quality for me with the films kind of dipped um, after the second one. Um, I mean, of course, Alien Tree just so legendary in terms of almost derailing uh, David Fincher's career. Thankfully, he was mm. able to just pick himself back up with uh, with Seven. Um, Alien Resurrection was just taking all the bad aspects of mid '90s action and sci-fi filmmaking and putting it into such a beloved franchise, and it was just horrible. Um, but yeah, there was also well, the Alien vs. Predator spin-off films. The first one, eh, I mean, it was alright, but the second one was horrible. Like, one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, Prometheus was a film... Sorry? Yeah. So only because Son Ali turned his beer. That's the reason that first Alien vs. Predator get, get You know? Just, just the mere fact that they were Predators, there was a reason why I enjoyed that. Yes. So that, that came from Predator too, eh? Um, remember, they, they saw the Alien Queen show up. So it's like, mm. oh, it's a film. Uh, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like if Aliens vs. Predator had gotten that R rating, it would have been so good. Right. Because there's a lot of personality to it, especially once the um, team up, you know, the whole buddy cup thing has started yeah, to happen. Yeah, mm. yeah, we, got a, we got a Predator with a personality, so to speak. And it was, it was really interesting at that point. Maybe if they started it off with that stuff earlier on. Yeah. It could have been more, you know. Plus that whole PG thirteen thing just—I mean—it it just it just didn't work here. Yeah. yeah and, and I and I kind of like the the idea of okay, the predators are like this warrior class now. So to prove yourself, if you want to rise around amongst the ranks now, you have to go into this kind of Mayan, um, this kind of Mayan pyramid 
in 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 case an ice or whatever it is, and you had to fight your way through through aliens now, and then when well, if you survive, then okay, you make it. So I I, I like yeah. that, I like the whole warrior aspect of it, right? The the sequel Requiem was just painful. Um, I actually watched it before taking in um Alien Covenant, hated it. It was just a terrible experience. Prometheus is one of those shows that I defend. I know Ricardo, you you hate that you actually rank as one of the worst films in the decade, but yeah, most disappointed. But for me, it was really Scott coming back and he was incorporating bits of, you know, Blade Runner, the existential stuff into it. And just kind of going back and asking the question, okay, where does Xenomorph really came from? Unfortunately, though, it's just all these, like, dupe moments, all these dumb choices made by characters. And it's like, well, it's an alien movie, so people still have to walk down and, you know, alone in dark hallways and get killed, right? Is is that. And it was even worse now with Alien Covenant, though, which was a show that I wanted to like by. But I just kind of came out of it like, eh. Only good thing was Michael Fassbender, actually, in my opinion, right? But yeah, that was, that was for me, the sign where I was like, all right, this this franchise is dead. You know what I mean? And I uh, just to close things off, I do even think we're going to get any other Alien films in the future. I don't think really Scott have it in him to make any more of these films. So right. I don't know what the future of this franchise yeah, will be. Yeah, I heard Neil Blomkamp wants to do something. I remember that was in Scott Robot. I, I, sure that that I remember well, that yeah. too. Okay, yeah. good, I'm not, good. I'm not sure, where, I'm not sure where, where, if that, that's still any working, but I remember yeah. that being in Scott Robot. And yeah, he's yeah. a good choice. I like his yeah, I mean, I, I love District 9. I love what he did there. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that, that's... that. Sorry? No, so yeah, at least his first film, right? <laughs> Yeah, this first two films, I mean, Elysium. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's my little history somewhat of the, the Alien franchise. Um, Alice, uh, you just want to just run through like how you got into the Alien franchise, specifically Aliens and the other films going forward? Well, um, I would have to say that Aliens is actually my first introduction to sci-fi, that sci-fi horror genre. Um, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, it, uh, the aliens is the most terrifying thing that, that that I've ever seen because any other movie that mentions alien before, it would be like, you know, the grey figures kind of thing. And it would just be these bug-eyed looking creatures, uh, not very um, intimidating in any way. And here comes aliens, where it's this big scary looking thing that yeah. you can't let its blood touch you because it's pure acid. and um, extremely violent and not to mention the way that they that they procreate is a very messed up way boy using, <laughs> yes using you as host and then that ugly looking parasite thing it, to, to see it at that age it was um it was a bit scarring for me to be honest with you and i did not rewatch it until i i got um, much older after and then enjoyed it more when i got more into the um the genre in into the horror genre and those things didn't bother me as much as a, as a kid a lot used to scare me <laughs> so um but personally the first two alien movies are my favorite um i ignore all the rest but one of my personal um one of my personal like guilty pleasures is actually the alien versus predator the first one i actually like all that right. yeah yeah so yeah that's it <laughs> Okay, well, when that, this year on, you know, Prometheus and um, Covenant. Um, yeah, I, like that was, those were like a one and done for me. I um, just watched it and I was like, oh, this is 
absolutely nothing like what I was expecting. It doesn't have the energy and stuff that the other Alien movies had. The story did not carry forward. Um, not to mention, after the first two Alien movies, I was a big fan of Sigourney Weaver, and I was just like, mm. <laughs> it just yeah. didn't work out for me after they after they killed her. That like ruined the the rest of the franchise to me. And, and even worse when when they brought her back in the, in, in Resurrection, right? Right. It was yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it just confused right. me. So I was like, I'd like to pretend those didn't happen, and just whenever I want to have an alien marathon, it's just part one, part two, and that's it for me. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Julian, history with the Alien series, like how you got into, and specifically how you got into Aliens. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have seen uh, the original Alien um, before Aliens. Um, and I mean, I think watching Alien is like, wow, this is you know, big sci-fi horror. I mean, I, I don't think I would have seen a lot of sci-fi horrors before that. So it'll be like, okay, what is this? What's going on here? And then, um, and then watching Aliens, and it's like, okay, now we've, we've kind of gone from sci-fi horror to kind of uh, sci-fi action with horror elements as well too, and completely so changed the movie, and I was I was blown away by it. Um, so there's usually like a, a, a fight between the two between Alien and Aliens, but I think Aliens usually nudges it out. But yeah, I think it's a it's a perfect film. I love it. It's infinitely rewatchable action. Um, comedy, uh, even horror elements, great characters. Um, yeah, um, and we were, we were saying um, off mic that uh, I also I defend Alien Three. I know it's not a perfect film. I know there's a lot of flaws, but I think the core uh, a idea lot of flaws. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it has its, its share of flaws, but I think the core ideas are good there. And you can see there was a lot of studio meddling and they yeah. rush out the film and there's a whole mess. But I, I think they were good, and I mean, the scene where the alien comes right up against um, Ripley's face is one of the most iconic scenes in the entire franchise, and that is from Alien 3. So, I mean, so there are, you know, little nuggets of good stuff there, you know, even if the, the final execution is not good. Ah, uh, yeah, um, as I said, um, Resurrection, Complete Waste, um, Prometheus, um, I like the first, I would say like the first third of Prometheus, where they're kind of discovering stuff. And then it just kind of gets really uh, generic after that. And all these stupid characters. Alien Covenant felt like a lazy rehash of Aliens. I completely hated that. Um, like Alice, um, AVP is a guilty pleasure for me. Sonal Ethan, gorgeous. Such a fun actress. I know, right? Yeah. And it's, it's just a fun, cheesy movie. Um, I, d- I didn't overly mind the, the, um, the PG-13. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind more blood and stuff. And the ironic thing is, we got the R with um, Requiem, and that movie is <laughs> a big fire of manure. <laughs> it is, it is, it is offensively bad. It is, it's yeah. Movie is. Horrible. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the first two and kind of the third, and Guilty Pleasure, AVP, yeah, everything else. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ricardo, <laughs> quick, quick history with the Alien series. Yeah, so for me, I saw the first. I saw this this movie first in the franchise. Um, where I saw it on VHS in my cousin's place, and yeah, loved it. You know, kick-ass action movies, guns, shoot it. You can't go wrong, right? 
And then I saw the, oh, the post from years later, and it's like, oh, this is like surprisingly somber and deep. And I was like, okay. And then it explained a bunch of stuff that was explained in this film. And yeah, this franchise kind of suffered the same fate as Terminator, right? Where, for whatever reason, uh, anything after two just don't really catch and don't really work all that well, and people just kind of miss why the material works the way it does. And I, it, it's, it's a much deeper and smarter site by when you get into all of these subjective stuff, all these subtexts of what they're trying to talk about. Like, yeah, a lot of it is basically like pregnancy. Like, you know, it's no surprise that, yeah, that the, 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 the horrors of pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like, a lot, it's no surprise that, you know, each our guy gets like make everything look like vaginas, right? That's basically you will bag, right? Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a franchise that um, really works in terms of atmosphere and, and aesthetic. The world building is great. The Xenomorph is truly a classic monster. It's probably one of the best. And yeah, the Xenomorphs are terrifying. Like, when you actually get into the biology and how they work, you can't, they're tough to kill. When you do kill them, the spraying is insanely corrosive acid on you. They could multiply really fast. Like, it's, it's one of the worst movie monsters ever in terms of if they were real, you're um, kind of situation. And yeah, they, they really work in that sense. And, and yeah, Ellen Ripley's a, a truly classic, classic heroine in, in science fiction. Yeah? She's kind of up there with, you know, it, I was going to say Samus Aran, but yeah, it's kind of the same character by intention. Um, yeah, that's yeah, true. But yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a great franchise. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk about this, what I consider a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And of course, nothing to say about Prometheus or um, you know, uh, Covenant, yeah. the less said, the better, right? Yeah, Prometheus, <laughs> Prometheus could go home. It is, this is a movie that was, uh, in my opinion, just an incredible disappointment. It's, it, it, it makes the mistake of doing the over-explanation problem. Um, in, in, and then Covenant does, does even a bigger sin. Because I think, because Prometheus had such a great marketing campaign going forward, like I was really, really hyped for it, and then it just, what the hell is this? Covenant, uh, it does it come and go. Like, okay, I, I kind of write it off. I think Ridley Scott kind of lost his touch, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more of a Tony person, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, them, them two movies go go. That is all I was. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Tracy, quick history, if any, on the Alien series. Yeah, yeah. Um... I will accept, if any. Here's my thing. I have a, a slightly hypocritical viewpoint when it comes to certain things in sci-fi. I love sci-fi. I live for sci-fi. That being said, um, when it has a horror attachment to it, I'm like, as, I, as I've told you guys, and a few of my people know this before, I enjoy sleeping. So I've oftentimes stayed away from things. Um, that being said, there are one or two um movies and or um franchises that for some reason or the other i just look at it and even though i know there might be a repercussion in terms of sleep or whatever i still need to see it or see um part of it or thereabouts and for me alien falls into that category where alien and aliens i have a memory of being at home and seeing the tv teaser the tv teaser trailer whatever it is like that for aliens 3 and i'm, I'm just jumping over to aliens 3 and mm. it's just the egg and the announcer saying three it's imprinted in my brain three times the terror three times that it's just three slashes on the egg of itself i think it's, uh, yeah, it's three times the danger three times three times the suspense three times yeah. the terror yeah and so you 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 see that and it's just it's just so it's so simple it's it, things like that makes you want to get up and be like okay let's see what's going on and with the advance of like you know cable um you know you can legitimately go back and see 
these older movies. So jumping back now to like the original Aliens, um, the original Alien uh 1979 i i have a, a a love for it and i'm using the word love because it it was a slower paced movie and i think about like how movies operate now where there's no time to enjoy or to well i mean you can enjoy but everything is so fast paced and you know i'm 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 thinking about things like how slow everything was in terms of even just letting people enjoy a meal before, you know, the chest buster, you know, comes out of your stomach. Yeah. That whole Last Supper vibe. And so I love that kind of stuff. And then, you know, moving on and having iconic people like Bill Paxton uh, in your life and hearing, you know, like that game over, man, game over. There are bits and pieces of that, that of the of, of Alien and Aliens, Aliens that sticks with me. What I will say, like Ricardo, um, Prometheus, Prometheus for me got me because of the marketing. Because I, back in the back in that time frame, I was a huge, huh? The David ads, they were yes, yes, because yeah, I was a those, huge those, those ads were excellent actually. I was a huge Ted guy um, in terms of like every video on Ted I would watch. So when they came on with this whole, I was like, this, this, okay, you're going to get me to sit down and watch this yeah. franchise again. And I, I'm, I'm neither here nor there with it. But again, admittedly, it's not one of those things that I um, thirsted after. But at the same point in time, I recognize it for um, the cinematic brilliance that the first two, I'm even going to say the first three operated in. Um, and just for just for what it was, just for what it brought to cinema, how it pushed cinema forward, and even the idea of like going back and to the older ones and hearing uh, Sigourney Weaver's voice, um, just that first instance of hearing Sigourney Weaver's voice, it's one of those things that I just absolutely adore and love. I did not go and see Alien vs. Predator because just watching the trailer alone for that, I was like, it's not scary, it just isn't worth my time. Um, so I didn't even bother with that. And then, well, you know, I had that experience with The Predator later on in life. Um, oh, in also one of the worst films of the decade. The worst. The worst. Oh, the worst. For you. The worst. <laughs> oh, my God. I will never stop saying the worst. But um, in terms of aliens, I, I like I'm grateful for it for what it is, but I'm not inherently tied to it. So that's me. All right. Understood. Understood. And last but not least, some uh, history with the Alien series and how you got specifically into Aliens. Um, I think I like may have stumbled on it because um, the thing I definitely stumbled on way before I should have seen it. And that's where my love of horror began. And then when Aliens, uh, Alien came about, I think I just saw that on television. So when they said Aliens was going to show... I was, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I enjoyed that first one. I want to see the second one. And then this ended up being um, different might not be the right word, but it was so much more than what I went in expecting because of how different the, the tone of Alien is, which is very much more of a kind of dramatic, straight up, serious horror vibe. This one had all this action and, you know, the, the thrills, the suspense, the adrenaline and as Julian rightfully say, it is infinitely rewatchable. Um, just, just every, I think at least once a year we sit down and we, we rewatch it. Of all the alien films, this is the one 
we would pick to rewatch. And it's never, there's never a dull moment. There's never a moment where you say that doesn't hold up. Uh, Aliens 3 for me, I despised it upon first release because, you know, they killed Ripley and all of that. And and then, and of course, they killed the, the two. We, we got so invested in these three people as a family. And, a we, you know, and they just killed them. Yeah. So... I, I, it's in rewatching it that I kind of see more, there's stuff there that I like as a whole, I, you know, the movie, no, but there is stuff there that I, I like and I appreciate. And, um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, resurrection, what the hell was that? I, I don't know. I, I tried rewatching it the other day and I could not stop laughing. It's just so over the top and it tries so hard, you know, it's oh, that. Oh, speaking of, of, of laughing, right? Yes. The, the hybrid baby, though. I don't even know how Sigourney got through it because the, the Ripley, the way Ripley behaves in that movie is it's just, it's cringe. It's, it's in, the entire thing is cringe. And then, yeah, we move forward. We have the... But I guess it's not really her. Like, it's, it's more of a clone or something like along those yeah. lines. And- so that dies like the explanation, but yeah, the movie don't work. I mean, um, what do you call him? Hellboy, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Pilma was it. Oh, yeah. you know, you know, as we mentioned, as you just talking quickly about resurrection, this show is so late nineties, they incorporate a scene where Ripley like like throws like you know, she's playing basketball though. Yeah, the basketball and she do like yeah. a free throw. That's how yeah. late nineties this movie is. Yeah, and she actually get through and they had to cut it because everybody reacts. <laughs> on yes. Yeah. Um, um, and then of course we have the crossovers and again, yeah, AVP, I, I, I hated the whole PG thirteen thing um initially, but that last the last half of that works really well for me. The last half saves that movie from being terrible for me. Um and we pretend the rest of it just doesn't happen. Now, Prometheus, I there's I, I don't know. I think visually, I really like it. I like some of the ideas, the whole thing about finding the God that created you, you know, only to realize that they wanted to destroy you. I like the idea that the xenomorphs are actually like a weapon, you know, a, wep- a, a biochemical kind of weapon, bioengineered weapon kind right. of thing. I find that very intriguing. Um, and that's the stuff I like there. And that that's about it. It's one of those films where you find yourself picking and choosing what you like which is something you should never have to do with a movie, you know? Um, and then Covenant, well, that was just, I, I pretend that didn't happen. I, I don't know what that was. I, I really don't understand it. Even the, the whole presence of Michael Fassbender, that whole thing with David could not save that movie at all. Yeah. And that's, yeah. About, that's about the size of it. So, you know, Aliens is the one that, that it just kind of, it is number one for me, and then Alien after that. I think, yeah, that's how I would I would put it. Yeah, I think that's that's how most people would would rank it as well too. Um, yeah. And you know, it's one of those big like film nerd questions. You know, which one you prefer more? Which one is better? The first or the second Aliens? You know, it's, it's something like that. Yeah, no, I don't know if better is the word. Like you know, when I'm ranking them, it's just the one that it just has that something special about it that makes it a a bit more rewatchable than the first one. Not that the end there's anything wrong with the first one. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So we're not wasting time. Let's jump into 
Aliens. So we we kick off with um <clears throat> sorry we kick off with you know Ella Ripley played by you know the incomparable Sigourney Weaver. Um, if you remember from the final minutes of Alien, she you know she's in cryo sleep basically uh, with a cat Jonesy. And where the where this film opens basically is that the Savage crew comes in and removes her from you know the the cryo cryo chamber um, that she's that she's currently in. Right. She wakes up in this hospital on the ship and she meets. Carter Book, played by a pre mad about you, Paul Reiser. And you know, like, every time I see him in this show, I always remember mad about you. And this is coming from somebody who never used to watch the show at all, but I always remember the, the team song. There's always something about the team song for that show that always um, stuck with me now. So he informs her basically that she's been in hypersleep for 57 years. And there's a great moment actually where, you know, as, as soon as she gets the news, right? Soon as she gets the news, sorry, um, she just gets a sharpie in her chest. And you see this close up of Jonesy reacting, very reminiscent of what he did in Alien, right? Mm-hmm. And you see like this chest booster, but, you know, quite smartly in the film now because this is one thing I love about the show. The show always knows exactly what to show you at what time now. So just like with 2D to 2, it's kind of going in telling people. All right, so just in case you know or you never saw the first one, this is kind of like the gist of what to expect now. So, yes, you see something move in her in her chest. And we all know it's a chest burst, you know? but you don't see it come out. You just see, like, just the skin just kind of being um, about to be ripped apart, basically. And then she wakes up, right? So it's it's a, it's a one of her night terrors. So two things. One, you know, in the 80s, when it comes to horror films, you know, you have that trope, right? It's all a dream, you know. I mean, they wake up, <gasps> they do that, right? Yeah. But secondly, though, what 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 I really really appreciate though, with with this scene here is again, you know, what I mean, just kind of letting people who never saw the first film kind of know what to expect, and then also to just going in for the first time into this movie now, it's like, all right, we're just going to arm things up here. Like, is is that gonna be some walk in the park here? We we're really gonna go out here, we to freak you out with this one. So. For me, yeah, that's that that's a very, very, very great scene. I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that um that chest boost the reveal thing. My thoughts lie with the cat for all intents and purposes, that cat looks like if it lived in pet cemetery. The, the <laughs> expression. Yeah, but that's the expressions on my cat face. <laughs> the sheer terror. Um I, and again, it's one of those things where it's like you don't have to see the monster; you just know that this is this is this is vile, this is evil, this is something. And then, of course, yes, the trope of okay, we, it was all just a dream, but I am here for the cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's actually this like deleted scene. So again, with with James Cameron films, well, sorry, well, not all of them, but you know, like with two D to two, there's also like a you know a, a director's cut there. So there was one scene I was deleted where. Basically, she learns of well, sorry, where where Ripley learns that she had um, her, well, basically trying to find out where her daughter is. So now we now the audience realizes, oh, she has she has a daughter, and we learn actually that she passed away at age sixty six. So um, and she had no 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 children. So in a way, I could kind of understand why it was cut out. You know, the time piece and all that all that jazz. But I like that it sets up the whole mother side, basically motherly side now that comes up later on when uh, Ripley confronts a uh, character of Newt. So later on we have this hearing now and <laughs> so one of the big threats in this movie now is these corporate bigwigs now uh, representing um, Wheeler Newton. Yeah, Wheeler Newton. Yes, Utani, yeah. Utani, my bad, right? So basically they were like... Sorry? 
Yeah, it's, it's a classic 80s, 80s track corporate, right? Yeah. Up there with the people. And what's that? What's that company in Robocop again? Um, OCP. Yes, OCP. Yeah. Right. So, again, these 80s movies and, you know, like 70s, it was taking on the man. 80s is all about taking on the corporation, right? But anyway, so they all, like, accusing Ripley of blowing up the Nostromo. If you remember, that was the staff writer that he had, sorry, she and her crew were in in the first film. Um, but she kind of had to do that because she, that was like the only way she could have thought of. She thought of at the time to kill the xenomorph, right? And but you know they were like, well, you know, there's no proof that it exists, right? And even though she mentioned the thousands of eggs that they ran into on LV four to six as he planted that they went to because there was like this um, distress signal that was sent out. Um, you know, it's not there. We will really turn why they're not there, right? Basically, right? So they reach this verdict now and they tell her, well, you know, because she's been acting on questionable judgment, uh, she's unfit to hold a license as a flight officer, right? So they, they basically, like, just suspend her her license. Um, and a nice piece of writing now, so Ripley asks one of the corporate guys, so I don't check out LV426 for yourself. Then he tells her, well, there's been people down there for 20 years and they haven't complained about any hostile organism. The pe- so the people in question are what you call terraformers, right? So they're planet engineers who basically go there with these atmospheric uh, processes to make the air breathable. Um, and yes, well, and business, business, whole business model. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about you know we 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 just finding these worlds and it's all about you know populating them, right? And you know trust us. So, uh, but I really really love that that whole idea of oh this is what happened years after the first film like people actually like you know living on that planet so <clears throat> so now we we on lv426 right so we introduce our family of colonists one of whom is newt right who is played by carrie hen i believe that's how you pronounce his name right hen um they stumble onto the same large mysterious ship from the spaceship sorry from the first movie right that's the one where um which sent out this, this signal in the first place right and how it works though is that you know if one of the terraformers claims something, they have to call it into the higher ups there. But usually it takes so long, they're just like, well, you know what, you find it is yours, take it, right? So the father is just like, all right, well, cool, let's let's go and check it out for ourselves there. And there's a great, great, great scene where like Newt is like, you know, waking up a brother is like, you know, in, um, we we don't know where where uh, basically the parents out for like a un, unusually long time there. And then the mom just finally appears and calls for assistance now. And then you see the father on the ground with a face hugging his face, the tail wrap around his neck. And then Newt just lets out this ear piercing scream. scream, (laughs) (laughs) And what makes it even better too is the lighting and the sound design because you're hearing like this harsh wind in the background. And it's also like like this kind of electrical storm. Not so much a thunderstorm, like an electrical storm now. So you're seeing these flashes of white on, on Newt's face when she's screaming. And then on the dad now, when you see the face, I've got this face though. So, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant moment there. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about um, that moment. Yeah, yeah, good, good horror moment. It's such a situation because we know, we know what's happening there with the, with the, with the face. There's trouble. Right, so back on the spaceship where Ripley's at now, um, Burke shows up with a Lieutenant Gorman of the Colonial Marine Corps. So basically, it's just them kind of suck it up and say, you know what? Yes, Ripley, you were right. Um, we, you know, we, we, we try to reach out to, to we, we try to get a signal across there, but nobody's answering. So we think that something's up, some sort of threat there. So we go in down there, but we need you to, to tag along there. 
And one thing I really like about Burke, right? So, yes, he he, he is basically like a kiss-ass for the, for the corporation, right? And he is shady as well, too. But, you know, he always comes off as if, you know what, I... I I just kind of do this for your good, for your own good, you know what I mean? It's not just about me, it's not about the corporation, it's about you, you know what I mean? So he's talking about, you know what, I could I could kind of talk with the high-ups so we could kind of get your, your your license back or whatnot. But Ripley's like, no, I don't want nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? The, the, the Xenomorph's already, sorry, the Xenomorph, the Fool's film already kill out my crew. I, I have night terrors because of this. I'm not going there. But ironically, after having a night terror again, she's just like, well, okay, let's let's go, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, it's, just... it's that whole it's that whole trope of I'll never ever 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 do it, and you then cut the next scene and the person is until doing they it. actually yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Well, she was kind of convinced by because it have colonists colonists and oh, it, yeah, that's true yeah she it, it was showing how how she cares yeah. about humans to the point where you know right. she would risk everything to yeah. save even strangers so. And they go in, they went missing effectively now. And it's like, oh, yeah, right, because they're on the wrong planet and yeah, they, they're completely screwed, right? But yeah, yeah uh, that's why they set that up really well. Because again, it, it, it obviously sets up later the, the big reveal about the polarizer character later, um, which is yeah. Which, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of show that obvious coming. But it's, it's a great little moment character wise. Yeah, it's, I, get, I give props to, uh, to Sagoni for that as well, because I you know she, um, uh, she worked closely with, with James on developing how Ripley would respond to these things you know yeah. happening so that's... yeah and she was rewarded with her Oscar nomination folks don't forget that huh? okay right. 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 Oscar right. for best actress for this movie huh? for yeah. a sci-fi you know popcorn yeah. blockbuster movie, yeah. yeah that was a big deal yeah 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 I was not gonna say it was more or less unheard of in that kind of time I like that in the conversation now they mentioned that she's working on the cargo docks right so she's running loaders and forklifts which you'll you'll see later right Right. Now I I kind of sort of love the the next sequence. Now that's where they actually go to the the marine ship, right? But what makes this work though is that it's it feels like is a is a shot for shot remake of like the opening sequence for the first movie, but it's right. not actually. It's more like yeah. a homage, you know, of of that scene basically. What it is is that you see the, the ship itself, right? And for me, like looking at the exterior of the ship it looks very much like some sort of like large intergalactic gun so yeah. which i believe is all intentional right? i mean props to like the the people behind the scenes for uh, which i'll mention later on this crap just the crap behind this this film is, yeah, is exactly. excellent in my opinion, you know yeah that will make this franchise work really well it, it does what what we what we call now cassette futurism right where everything's still looking like these computers or everything but it's still Get a sense that all of this could work, and you could you could have a bunch of explanations. Everything don't have to look sexy and fancy, or you know you know futuristic, quote unquote. Um, yeah. That sense now, and yeah, the, 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 I like a lot of a lot of production design. I was just rewatching the film. Uh, okay, so before we continue, one thing that's really noticeable watching this on the Blu-ray is it's really noticeable all the rare screen projection and rotoscoping, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that's that much yeah, is true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah super. No, but because but but then yeah, but you also get to see. A lot of the set and production design look in detail now and looks great, like much, much better. With it. Then you realize, yeah, yeah, they really took care to make this world really well. Now, a little simple thing like office design, office space, everything yeah. lived in. It feels plausible. Like, yeah, you could see people living here and it making sense. That's why, like, that's why it works. Yeah. I, I don't know if, yeah. if it's a thing with, with like, um, 
like films of that genre, like you know, from the like the mid seventies onwards. So, but I just always love the idea that you know we're not going to go ultra futuristic and whatnot, but we're gonna make it feel practical and lived in, which 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 adds to the realism here. But yeah, yeah do um, speaking of, of of interiors though, so I just love how the interiors look like this, how realistic it so to speak looks. Um, also, I like the idea of you know you, you're seeing all the the crew members in cryo sleep as well. It's very reminiscent of the first film as well. And just like in the first film, you see the the, the cryo chambers open up and they wake up and you know they literally from from like you know a long sleep basically. So. Again, it almost feels like a shot for for, shot for shot, sorry, uh, remake of what we saw the opening though. But again, it's just new people now. You know what I mean? The only the only um constant basically is Ripley here. But I don't know if you guys have anything to just say about just the opening and just how. Last thing I'll just say also too, um, the slow camera pans, similar to like what Ridley Scott did in the first film, and just just attention to details, seeing the guns, seeing the dropship, seeing all these little things there. And then, yeah. of course, the scene reveal, you know, everybody waking up. Uh, by the way, Al Matthews, by the late great Al Matthews, who plays Sergeant E. Pone, one of my yeah. all-time favorite characters. I love when he wakes up, though, he just puts a cigar in his mouth and just goes in. I, <laughs> I can just watch that. With, uh, yeah, so, that's clear. That, so that, that, yeah, it's, it's a, clear, a clear reference to that, that character in Halo. Uh, if you know who it I, is. I he, oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was inspired or modeled yeah. by, by Al Matthews. Huh? Pretty much, yeah. That's yeah. pretty much the same same figure. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the Marines are a lot of fun. There's only one thing that this door really hold up, and that's the one of my favorite characters. But it's who plays her now? That is uh John Connor's adopted mother. Yeah. Uh, Vasquez, a little little bit of wrong face kind of thing. I don't think yes. that. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, 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 very noticeable now when you watch it. Um, played by Jeanette Goldstein, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really hold up, but yeah, it's fine. She's a great character. Um, what I love about it is that it does a lot of great world building in the conversations um, with, with them. They, they talk about yes. a bunch of um, speaking of Apon though, like the moment he talks, where he just like steals, you see, like he's like, "All right, sweethearts, what are you waiting for?" You know what I mean? Another glorious day in the ca- um, in the core, a day in the Marine Corps, like a day in the farm. You know what I mean? It's just all these quotes though. Like he's just one of my favorite characters. Um, Vasquez, I mean, yes, she she has presence and whatnot, but you know, like it's one of those things that you know, like the first time you watch her, like when you see the film, you have no idea who she is. Uh, like yeah, I mean she she's Latina, right? Because she's Vasquez, right? So years you thought this is like well, no, she's not actually. Yeah, so, I really didn't like, know. When you see her again, I, I it's like know. well, come on, you, you could not cast somebody else with this. Well, she was a, a pretty convincing Latina. Yeah, <laughs> but that yeah. that's true, a good true, 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 true. <laughs> and of course, there's the famous moment you know be where she's doing pull-ups. I, I don't know. It's, it's something with, with James Cameron and women doing pull-ups because he's seen thing that, um, <laughs> that Linda Hamilton does yeah, in 282. You know what I mean? But, you know, strong, we introduced the... Strong female it, no, it, does show, it does show strong female character because, let's face it, you know, the average female cannot really do pull-ups like that. So, you know. Yeah, true, true, true. But that, that's one thing I always loved about um, James Cameron. They're always showing, like, um, well, not for all of his films, but, you know, some of them. Um, showing like these strong, you know, um, female characters basically. Though. But yeah, you know, we, there's the iconic moment where, you know, we boy, the late great Bill Paxton, who plays Private Hudson, comes in and says, Have you ever been mistaken for a man? And she says, No, have you? Have you? <laughs> timeless. Timeless. Like, what, I, what I love about and what I give, it's, it's I guess it, it speaks to the writing, it speaks to the directing, 
it's we don't really spend that much time with these Marines and yet you feel like you know them. You feel like you yeah. know everything about them and you connect with them so quickly. It's not something that is usually that easy to pull off. It's not easy to pull off and it's not something that you usually see well done in films, even in recent films, you know. Once the cast is uh, more than three people, people tend to get lost in the shuffle. And I never really feel like that happened with any of the Marines here. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I, I, I think um, what Cameron does so well is, is kind of, I don't know call it economical filmmaking. Because as Matthew was talking before, um, some of these sci-fi movies, you have like, they start off with a bunch of narration and one set of text and stuff to build the world. He's just like, hey, I'm just going to show you some things, do some visual storytelling, and you know, and your, your brain is picking up on the world as things progressing. The same, and what, I guess what he does with these characters, where you just kind of meet them, and he gives each one of them, like, this little tiny little character moment, you know, you see, you know, Hudson, you know, he's, you know, the prankster, the jokester, you see, you know, oh, and, and also he is the ultimate badass, which I love the show that kind of flips on its heels, basically, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so so even though the you know some movies they have to you know have an entire arc just to explain a character, just like boom character moment, boom character moment, you know, and so yeah, so yeah. you get a feel of who these people are. So when they get thrust into danger, it's like hey, you actually do care when you know their life yeah. signs start to drop. Yeah, really yeah. good job, my camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simple, it's simple like this. Yeah, it's simple like little conversational things like you do see a line or the, how they say it. How they bounce off each other in terms of what they talk about. Like again, they mentioned the, they have another alien race in the alien universe called the Arthurians, right? And yeah, they seem yeah. like seem to be like some kind of pleasure race, you know, show going on uh, with them. But yeah, it's interesting that we, we, the aliens exist in, the, in this universe. It's just it's not the xenomorph, xenomorph, you know, show going on in terms of the world building. Um, but it, it's just little simple decisions like that that really works. So like there's characters talking to each other as if it's a world, like it's normal day-to-day life space truckers right that's a trick yeah. yeah um but you know as you mentioned the, the, the breakfast scene ricardo um i've heard or uh, at least i think i probably saw it because by the way the behind the scenes you know uh, making of of these alien movies which are available like on the blu-ray and stuff like that are excellent you all need to check those out but i believe if i'm not mistaken um cameron actually filmed that that breakfast scene at the end of the film Right, so right. by the time you know the, the actors you know, the, 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 the the camaraderie between them actually was developed you know during filming so by the time they all right. sat down it's just like yeah you know we 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 went through the shit together you know we but you right. know that's that's why it feels really natural but speaking of that now uh we introduced the bishop played by you know the great lance um henriskin right mm. uh is is one of those moments, one of those kind of what we call a bro moment, basically. You know, it's like the chug, 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 or the toad, toad, toad moment, right? But yeah. it sets up so perfectly who he is, and essentially what he is is that he's an android. Because yes, in the world of Elia, there's also these androids as well, right? Ian yeah. Holm, the late great Ian Holm, he played an android in the first film, and the yeah. reveal that he was one is still one of the most memorable moments of the yes. first film, right? Yeah, Especially with that milk blood yeah. that gushes out and all that kind of stuff yeah, but yeah here is me, like... <laughs> is is the shot of the head like just the head and you see yeah. like all these little like ball things like sticking off from his stuff <laughs> from yeah. underneath his and neck and he's talking yeah i just talk yeah. like blah, 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 like that <laughs> yeah um, 
lot of great there's a lot of great world building with him as well. So the opening sequence with um Bill Faxon's character where he, he had to do the little night thing. And, yeah, and yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which I love by the way. It sets up him as a coward and then it sets up uh you know how to compare this artificial person to the other artificial person. How he does have a quick line about just models and you know this casual models this model it's thing that's why it went off because it was always kind of kind of finicky little things yeah. like that like okay yeah you need to buy yeah yeah you need to buy the world now and it explains away all these little things yeah good world building true a few lines of dialogue it's called a throwaway line right it's shocking so many movies don't have that in the scripts for some reason definitely a case of a blesses more yeah yeah Right, so um, I just love that whole reveal, you know what I mean? So while he's doing the whole knife thing, he gets a cut on his thumb, and, you know, of course, Ripley sees as like, why do we have an android on board? Because, you know, it just brings up that whole aspect of what happened with the, with the android, yeah, the killing right. him, this one, right? Um, afterwards, we have this nice moment where Ripley uses her loader skills, so we actually see for the first time, right? Where she's putting missiles into the ship, right? I love how, like, Epo like, looking at her, you know I mean? And he's like chewing on the cigar when Ripley like tells her, uh, you know, uh, like when she tells him for the first time, um, you know, how she knows how to work a loader. I think she has a, a class B or something, uh, certification, something along that line there. But, you know, it's just yeah. how he responds to like just constantly chewing on that cigar. And by the way, again, with the, the production design, though, that, that loader um, design, though, is just such a sweet piece of like cinematic machine right it, it looks so like, real know? though like really <laughs> practical though, you know <laughs> i it love it i love it they never invent one like in real life for people to use you know no, have, they have stuff like that well person could wear it yeah it have exoskeleton like yeah exactly it's more it's more like what tom cruise was wearing in uh that movie and edge of yeah Oh yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It looks close uh, to that. But yeah, it it, it it is already real. It it we said about three years ago, but still four years ago, mostly military use. To be honest. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, I, I did not even know that actually. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so um, eventually now, oh yes, and another another piece of um, another piece of tech that I really like too is the sort of like altering vehicle that he use. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just. Yeah, just the, the thought that and this is what I really love about the alien films that they put a lot of thought and care into what's on screen. Um not just, you know, um buildings and architecture, but just, you know, vehicles and weapons. I really, really love that. So anyway though, so the marine team now they land on L V four two six. Uh Ripley and you know, um Ripley and Burke are there basically, just to just help them out. Um, they, they arrive at this sort of abandoned facility area, so they, they're looking for signs of human life, right? And bug life, right? So as far as the tech goes, uh, one thing that I really love about the tech that they have with the weapons is the motion trackers. You know, it just adds so much as far as the tension you feel that and especially how they play with the uh, added to the sound design, uh, it, uh, it, it makes for some great, great um, moments of tension, right? So I forgot to mention to another guy who's in it as well too is Hicks, right? Who is played by um Michael Bean. Um we of course you remember him as Cal Reese from the from Terminator, right? And and mm-hmm. if you watch the, the um the extended version of Terminator 2, he's there as well, right? The same character. 
So um, they basically welcome um, Gorman, Ripley, and Burke. They make their way to the Salt Wing facility, right? So that's this um, where they have this medical facility area, right? And this is where we see, like, you know, the, these these seemingly dead face huggers, right? And you have that great shot, you know, me, there's one of them looking at one of the um, one of the um, containment units, basically, and one of them actually alive. And, you know, just again, what you said, Ricardo, you sort of vaginal, you know, imagery now, you know what I mean? Especially when you see, oh, that's what latches on to the person's face, though, because the first film... No, I say it's very yonic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, remember in the first film, they said that basically it was supplying oxygen to the victim, even though, you know, yeah. it was perfectly could see the person's face and, you know, they had the, the tail around its throat, um, sorry, around the victim's throat, um, neck basically, right? Right, so the Marines spot some movement now in the trackers and, you know, they, of course, they take it as some, it's, it's some threat, right? But actually, it's Newt, right? Well, actually, her name is Rebecca, but you know she calls herself Newt for short, right? You know, nobody calls me Rebecca, but my, but my um, brother. Bro- yeah, but my brother. I was always going to see her parents, but yeah, her brother, right? Um, it's actually like a great setup. It's one of those things I actually forget, right? In the movie, this show has lots of great setups and payoffs, by. So Hudson now picks up on the possible location of the surviving colonists, right? Because apparently the colonists were all. You know, it, um, they had like these chips and platinum them there. So you see like a whole bunch of them in this sub-level at this um, processing station nearby. You know? So they all thinking, well, yeah, I mean, everybody just, they all hold up now. So they all go there now. And as they, as they, as they, as they near into the sub-level now, um, again, you know what I mean? Um, Geiger or Giga's, you know, um, imagery and all that kind of stuff. You see these sort of, what I call like how the, the, the Xenomorphs kind of do like terraforming of their own. So it has this sort of like skeletal look to how, you know, the the interiors look there. It's very slimy. And I mean, there's all this sort of bone-like structures. You're not really sure what it is. uh, Apparently, it's very hot as well. And you learn later on, well, you know, it's because um, that's basically what the xenomorphs do is they they capture their prey and they they have them in cocoons, basically, right? Um, And if I'm not mistaken, the, the sort of like, structures that they put on the roof of the walls though is one of those things in alien law which i don't think was ever explained though like why do the interiors look the way they do like what do they do to spruce up the place basically it's no different from like insects it's like when a when termites hollow out a, a tree or something like that it's yeah just, it's just biological matter that is all it is it doesn't know anything like about hive. sorry like a hive yeah right. yeah exactly like a hive yeah yeah right. yeah Right, so another another nice bit of setup though is the area itself is like um, this nuclear reactor. There. So if the Marines find any weapons, they will basically kill everyone, including the, the quote-unquote colonists, right? So all the Marines have to remove the, the magazines from the guns, right? Um, Hicks, <laughs> luckily for him, has a shotgun. Like he says, I like to keep this handy for close encounters. I imagine if you were a kid back in 86, you probably thought that was like the dopest shit ever, right? Um, but anyway, you, you get we don't we don't get the first reveal of what's going on with this weird alien terraforming thing because um, you actually see like you know a human body now encased in this like weird slimy alien resin thing, right? It's a great reveal actually, and even better now is that you actually see the person is alive, right? So it's all like please kill me, right? And right. it doesn't stop there, Jen. So like while she's saying please kill me a chest booster like literally comes out of her chest thread and 
I would still say that this is one of the, the, the most frightening scenes in the movie. I imagine it's worse for people going into this movie for the first time, having not seen the first film, um, and not knowing exactly what these, these chest posters are or how they look, though. But, you know, just the moment when it comes out and you see the blood and all that kind of stuff, it's still a very effective scene. And even better now, when you see when it keeps cutting back to Ripley's reaction, because she's watching it on the monitor now. So, great. And it does not stop there. So... A group of xenomorphs now, hidden in shadow above the marines now, start moving slowly towards them. I just love the aspect that, yeah, they just all, like, looking around, like, in front of them, basically. And these buggers literally, like, right above them. And they just know exactly when to move at what time, right? So, it's a great shot, actually, where one of the female marines now looks to her left. And then, on the same sort of weird skeletal wall, they see one of the xenomorphs, like, moves in for the kill, though. And yep. for me, though, that is the kind of shit that nightmares are made of, though. Like, <laughs> aliens are literally all around you, Dre. That is, that is frightening as hell. So, yeah, of course, she gets... Uh, yeah. Always, Xenomorphs always wake up and choose violence, right? I know, right? Right. And then the, the, uh, what I love, too, is that whole... You have these badasses who have been in every kind of battle so far. So they, yeah. they feel like they know exactly what they're capable of and yeah. nothing can stop them. And, yeah, and, then you're faced, them yeah. and then you're faced with something you've never come across. So what do you yeah. get? You just get mass panic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a lot of already hype moments for the Marines earlier. Like, you know, that, that part with Baskets. I know with Baskets and a friend with the auto gun. You know, real, yeah, real, real flexing and shit. Yeah, we are there. We're like, oh, you know, these guys can handle their stories. It's like, no, yeah. they've never been up against anything like this. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. All right, so of course, you know, the the, the female marine, marine gets killed. A couple others get killed as well too. Um, Epon unfortunately gets killed off screen. Um, I wish you could have seen what happened. But anyway, the other Marines, including um, Hudson, just goes apeshit and start firing as well too. Um, Ripley's watching all this from you know behind the scenes, and she's like, "Well, you know, they need help." But Gorman's all freaked out. He doesn't know what to do, and you know, Ripley's like, "You know what? To hell with this!" Right? She commandeers the the vehicle, drives off, and you know, um, to 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 rescue the Marines. Now. So, just. Comparing this, uh, or I should say, like similar to like the the Terminator one and two, which Cameron directed, do he knows how to handle these like really intense action scenes? Though, like that moment with her, so was that that moment where the aliens attack and the shootout with her, and then afterwards with Ripley going after the Marines and all that kind of stuff. It's just so masterfully put together, so well edited, so intense, so nail biting. And then even better now is the music, though. Uh, I forgot to mention the late, great James Horner actually did the score for this. I love, love the music for this, though. It is so incredible for this one. But yeah, this this sequence just really shows how great of a craftsman um, Cameron is in, in terms of just building these great action scenes. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree or not. Yeah, absolutely. That entire that scene sets the tone for everything that's gonna come after, and it sets the tone perfectly. You know, it's it's all adrenaline. It's all terrifying. It's there's no way you could say you you fell asleep during that or anything like that. You, you're a liar. You know, it's just it's just too intense. I was at points where I actually caught myself holding my breath and I didn't realize it because <laughs> the situation was so intense. It's like, oh my god. Well, okay, what's yeah, well, next? to be honest, there's actually moments where I held my breath too, eh? like recapping yeah. this movie. There's lots of moments like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say also the crazy lighting as well too. Because I mean, yes. a lot of these movies is yeah. like you know, it's a dark area with something scary, and you can barely make out what happened. You see everything that is happening. That is true. Where, they don't know, hold back. For that, yeah, for that. You, you can make out every attack, every gunshot, every explosion. You know, so yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. As well. Yeah. Which, you know, on a very weird note, kind of is an indictment on certain parts of modern filmmaking. So I don't need for it to be overly saturated, <clears throat> Snyder, or, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, deeply dark and ridiculous in order to make a point or to show a poetic uh, instance. You have a film like this that is, for all intents and purposes, bright. You can still get the terror. The music adds to it. Everything comes together in a way that you actually are at the edge of your seat. It is an indictment. It's an indictment. Yeah. So back to the boy, Private Hudson, way. I just love from this point on, he's just spazzing out. He's like, this can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. You know what I mean? It's just, he's just going nuts to it. Uh, It's a huge contrast to how he was, you know, the ultimate badass. How we saw him in the first act, right? Um, so basically, Burke says, well, sorry, Ripley comes up with the idea of nuking the entire sector. But a nice piece of writing, though. So, you know, as much as we kind of despise Burke, especially when you reveal later on, I like how he kind of comes to, like, you know what I mean? We're, we're dealing with an important species, and no one has the right to arbitrarily exterminate them. Yeah, and Hudson's like, maybe you haven't been keeping up on current events, but we got our asses kicked, pal. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's just how he keeps going off, though. I love it, though. Hmm. Um, but, you know, because Epon is dead now, Hicks, our well, Corporal Hicks, I should say, he's next in China Commander. I love how Ripley makes mention of that now. He's like, uh, She's like, well, yeah, he had to make the decision. And Burke is like, well, you know, no offense, but he's a grunt, right? But still, he's like, yeah, we, we, we had to nuke this place, right? So I love that. Um, he requests immediate, um, immediate evac, right? And you know, one well, a second um, dropship shows up, and I love the, the setup of it as well too, because you know the pilot is prepping for takeoff, and this one guy running up, and he just sees you know the acid, the you know, this acid on um, the reeling basically, and you know I imagine for people going in for the first, I was like, what was this, right? Um, and then now like it ramps up now, so you see like the dropship moving closer to its, to its destination, right? And the, the pilot called for the, for the guy there, then you hear the door open. And then when she turns around, now you get like the iconic close-up of like the xenomorph. We see like his lips, like skin open, and you see its teeth. Yeah. And you just see like mm. this goo just dripping. He just does that <laughs> thing, though. Know, I don't know. Just something about that close-up, though, is so brilliant, right? And of course, she gets killed, and the dropship crashes, right? And then we get that classic Bill Paxson quote That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> I love, 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 love that 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 quote. That is becomes so synonymous with the movie, so synonymous mm-hmm. with uh, Bill Paxton as well, too, right? That's a line that, that becomes used in everything. Like I send out a campaign to a client or something, and they come back with changes that are absolutely ridiculous. You literally look at the changes and be like, "Game over, man. Game." Over. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. that. It's, it's like, yeah, a lot of memeables and quotables in this movie. Because even even the <laughs> The new crumb orbit, only way to be sure. That's that's thing. You constantly say that if you want to make sure and take care of something, right? New crumb orbit, yeah. make sure. Only way to be sure. Classic. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of, of of you know, well, other classic lines now. Um, so while Newt's like 
still loses shit though. Sorry, Hudson loses shit though. Um, New tells Ripley, you know, they need to get the shelter because it'll be dark soon, and it mostly come out, come at night, mostly. I just love that whole like her scene mostly twice though. Like it seems kind of innocent, you know what I mean? Like they mostly come at night, mostly something along that line. So I love it's funny. Just just today, um, we we were playing Destiny too, and um, Troy is like we we're, we're dealing with some creatures called the Hive, and Troy is like they mostly come out at night, mostly. Yeah. I'm like just you know, it's just so many lines from this movie, so that you can do that with that you could just. And people instantly know what it is you're talking about, where yeah. you got it from. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, speaking of, of Newton Ripley, there's a really, really nice moment um, involving the two. I believe it's stretched out in the director's cut now, where the mother-daughter the mother -daughter dynamic is, yeah. is realized, right? You know, just, you know, like, they're basically, like, just sleeping together in the same sort of, um, you know, medical place, basically, right? It's a really, really nice moment, though. Um, afterwards, though, Ripley and Bishop try to figure out um, how much of these xenomorphs are there, right? And one thing, like I say, you know, at the very beginning, what I love about these alien sequels, though, and prequels, you know, for the most part, is that they always answer one burning question. So the question in this case, which I feel this movie, you know, um, answers very well now, is that if they came from eggs, who's laying them? Yeah. In the first movie, you saw like thousands of eggs, but we never, we never questioned them. What we just got was one egg. You know, we, you know, well, we, we, you know, we got the face hugger, chest booster, and xenomorph. That was all we got, right? One egg. But again, who's leading the eggs, right? So I love that. You know, this film, you know, asks that question and answers it later on, right? And then now, um, <laughs> it ends with Bishop Biscuit saying that you know Burke requested that the alien specimens. You know, not be disposed of basically, but you know, put into stasis and sent back to the company for future research, right? So we learned in the following scene though that uh well basically uh that, that Burke was the one who kind of issued the order to send the colonists to LV four uh, LV four to six without even warning them of these anymore uh presence there. Right. You know, so it's just like, yeah, I mean, the place is safe, right? Don't worry about that old spaceship, I mean, blah, whatever, right? And I mean Yes, I mean, Carter's a piece of shit, though, but I just love the way how Paul Reiser uh, plays him, though. You know what I mean? Like, just almost like, but you know, still, you know what I mean? <laughs> think about it this way, though. You know I mean? He always plays it off like that, though. And he just always makes these really, really bad calls, man. You know what I mean? Right, so basically where they are now, they, they kind of, the Marines kind of set up in such a way that there's this tunnel leading <laughs> up to where they Right, so there's this tunnel basically leading up to where everyone is, right? All the survivors. But they set up like these robotic guns basically, which is, every time I see it, it's always reminded of Robocop in a sense, you know what I mean? That's how they just move in a sense. Uh, but other than that, is just the idea that it will just kind of hold them off there, you know what I mean? While they, while they figure out this stuff, right? Uh, of course, even though it has, you know, heavy, um, just a lot of firepower, it's not enough because they just keep like swarming basically. And after a while, these xenomorphs get smart. It's like, all right, well, we, we, we can't go through the door, basically. So you have to find another way to, to, to get in, basically, right? Uh, but basically, though, the, the idea, though, is that they, they have to get the, well, basically, another dropship to, to come to meet them, right? But they have to go to this uplink tower because the communication got messed up, basically, with the crash of the second dropship, right? So Bishop decided, yeah, what I I will I will handle things, but I need to get from here to across there. So I just need to go along this large conduit basically to to get there. So he's handling that, right? And then we get this 
incredibly terrifying moment. Um, still, still one of the most terrifying moments in this movie, Baden, where after, where Newton Ripley, you know, after taking the rest or whatnot, well, Ripley gets up now, and he see she she notices sorry that one of the containers where the face hugger was was on the floor, like empty, right? Mm-hmm. And if you like, if you like hate creepy crawlies. <laughs> Yeah, this this scene will be this scene will will always get to you though, but yeah, basically they 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 trapped in this room now, and there's this face hugger that's just scurrying about the place, like literally looking to to jump on either one of their faces, right? And there's a a great reveal now where they try to open the door, but it's locked. You know, we they bang it on the window. It's like help, 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 and then good boy, he's watching the monitor, seeing them screaming for help. He just turns off the monitor, goes back, and talks to um, to to to, to Hicks, right? I was like, "Wow, way!" And that's yeah. the review. Basically, we realize, yeah, I mean, yeah, Burke is a piece of shit, right? Like, like if this, if yeah, this is the moment where we kind of realize that, right? So, in a really smart move, now Ripley activates the fire extinguishers, and you know, Hicks comes in time, frees them before the face hugger. I should say face huggers. Cause it's a nice moment now we realize there's another one actually between even at um at, at Newt. Which was a great moment though. Like you know there was one that was targeted um that was targeted uh Ripley, but there, there yeah. was another one that was going to 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 jump on, on Newt. That, that was actually a great moment as well. So yeah, he comes in the nick of time and saves him, right? And then afterwards, you know we they they um he they basically pull up uh you know they they, they basically sort of interrogate um interrogate book now and then well it kind of reveals that yeah basically the plan was to impregnate either Newt or Ripley so when they go into cryo sleep now uh, he could just kind of do whatever he wants with the other cryo tubes basically where the other marines or survivors are but as long as the impregnated person is sent back to the, the corporation that's fine because they have a specimen right so it's a way for, for, for him to get the the specimen through quarantine you know the easiest stuff basically right yeah, undetected yeah undetected right so the lights go out now and then like this squad of xenomorphs head towards them and we get this sweet 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 reveal because they're all like okay where are they they're coming closer they're, they're coming closer but we not see them where are they and they're like literally above them in the air ducts every yeah. time i see that i'm like yeah. yes this is so so clever i love that like they've been trying to get through the door for the longest while keep getting shut of course they're gonna look for another route right so yeah they're right above them i love that uh shots of fire though uh hudson gets pulled down by the xenomorph so yeah that's the last time we see him though and it, it's sad i don't we, we you know we like to laugh at him and whatnot for the game over and all that kind of stuff but when he gets pulled i was like Char, boy, you know what yeah yeah and then we get one of my favorite scenes now where Burke is just running away now, like, like the coward that he is. And I imagine, like, you know, audiences both clapped and screamed at the same time. So he opens the door and he stands face to face with a Xenomorph. Awesome. I love it. I love it. He goes down. Yes. Clapped at that scene. Yes. <laughs> but I imagine people was probably clapping and, like, trying to block their eyes at the same time when they first saw that. It's such a moment, though. Yeah. Uh, Vasquez goes on like a badass, you know, because she's in one of the Anoks. There's a nice moment where she puts a boot on one of these Xenomorph's heads and shoots at it with, with a handgun. I love that. Gorman tries to save her. And I, I think he she says something like, like, I was new, like an asshole, something like that. But he does this, well, you know, he sacrifices their lives, basically. So he pulls on this grenade, it blows up. 
while this is going on now, um, Newt is, you know, uh, trying to escape as well too with Ripley and, uh, and, and Hicks. But she gets trapped in this uh, in this ventilation shaft and she falls and goes down this this air this this air duct now, and she ends up in like one of this uh, like so these uh, well, basically like this subterranean pipe area basically where it's all flooded out. And then we get, in my opinion, one of the most iconic moments in this in, in, the, in the entire franchise. So, and going back to what uh, Siskel said, Gene Siskel. You know, this was the moment where, which took him out to the movie. Again, you know, being put in little children in peril. But I don't know. I just love that shot of Newt's in this, like, flooded section of the of the area below. And while all this is going on, I mean, Hicks is trying to, like, cut open the, you know, uh, the, the floor underneath now to, uh, to try and save her. But is that shot, though, when you see the wolf, like, rises from the water right behind her? Just that shot alone, though, is just, it's just perfection. It is pure horror brilliance, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that, but yeah, that shot alone is just like part of like horror movie history, in my opinion. So by the time Hicks, you know, does this thing, Newt's already gone, right? And while they, so basically, while they, upon entering an elevator now, um, they attack by a xenomorph. That's Ripley and Hicks, right? So Hicks shoots at it, but acid blood gets on his suit and, you know, he has to take off the suit and he's injured at this point, right? So meanwhile, now Bishop successfully gets the dropship to arrive at the uplink tower. Uh, Rip, but Ripley's like, you know what, we need to go back and see if Newt. I know she's alive because I've seen they just kind of have the, the humans, you know, cocoon. They're not going to, you know, kill us yet, right? And then um, also iconic in my opinion, though, is the sort of pulse rifle slash greedy launcher oh, slash yeah. flea truer truer combo that really like, you're just giving me together. you're giving me flashbacks of the game in the arcade I that I it know, was so, right? <laughs> <laughs> so epic. It's just I like actually just had that like all these as well. and just does the petite <laughs> tape over it. It's just like just it's just genius. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, Tracy, you see it? No, no, no. I was agreeing with someone. I actually had that life. I re- I do remember having a friend of mine. He came to the college and he had a little Game Boy or someone along the randomness. And there was that alien game. So it wasn't so much going into the arcade, but having it there and playing it for inordinate amounts of time in the people's school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the exception, just, just say it, of course, for a bit, right? You know, the exception of EVP. You know, I've never really like jumped into an alien um, game. You know? I think there was one that uh, I played. Um, I can't remember which one it was. I think it came out in the early 2000s, but like, I've always been admittedly afraid to play an alien game because I know of the claustrophobia and fear and just the terror that, you know, these games kind of generate there because, you know, it, you're looking around, there's dark and all that kind of stuff. So I've, yeah. I've mostly stay clear of those games because funny, of jump scares. It's funny you say that the the first game the first game was like the one in the arcade is yeah. very much a James Cameron love letter and it's it's awesome it really was awesome yeah. um yeah. the Alien versus Predator games are great in the arcade I used to play that in the airport yeah yeah it was great right right and then you fast forward and you have Alien Isolation which is a lot like what you're talking about Matthew because there's yeah, actually I'm uh, that. <laughs> yeah there's a YouTuber I follow who said that it's the one game he cannot return to he he hit an event and he basically took off the game hiding an event and never went back to the game because it's it's done to it in this manner that the uh, AI actually will find you eventually so you cannot stay hidden 
same place and you can't fight it outright because just like in the movie, you know, you have, you're dealing with the acid, you're dealing with the speed, you're dealing with limited ammo. So it is a very, very scary game, uh, Alien Isolation, but it just doesn't get, it hasn't gotten better than that so far. Yeah, there's a bunch of games in, in, in that they make in uh, respect to catering to that um, aesthetic. Like, it have Alien, like, it have a new Alien game coming out, there's a multiplayer, but there was a game about 10 years ago that was a, like a... Yes. Uh, what is Alien Marines, I think was just the name of it, but it wasn't part of the Alien yeah. Marines, yeah. Yeah, but mm. it was similar, similar, but the same idea, just, you know, dealing with swarms of aliens, blah, 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 blah. The same thing. Right, right, right. But yeah, um, speaking about the whole pulse rifle thing that Ripley, you know, cobbles together do. Um, this this third act of this movie is amongst one of the best third acts I've seen in a film ever, in my opinion, because it is just wall to wall tension and action and thrills and scares. And it just doesn't stop until the very end though. So um back to, to Newt. So uh, luckily for her, um Newt is I, I think like partially cocooned her because it's like she's all wrapped up or whatever it is. She's not like fully encased in the alien goop, right? But I love the the, the reveal though when she she like looks across the like in front of her and she's you, you see like a like one of these xenomorph eggs and it just opens up you know I mean? and then the face hugger, you know what I mean, um slowly kind of crawls out though. I, I I love that. That's just such a great reveal, though. Um, Ripley shows up in the neck um, nick of time. You know, she butts and shuts the egg. Uh, a couple of xenomorphs come true. She she disposes of them. Uh, Ripley frees Newton together. They proceed to leave the nest. And by the way, you know, just like in the first film, you know, they have like about ten minutes before the site explodes, right? Uh, then we get another iconic moment now. So Ripley runs into the egg chamber. I remember that whole question I asked about, you know, we, where the eggs came from. Yeah. You see the queen, boy. And so like you said, Ricardo, how the xenomorph is just such a great, you know, um, you know, just a, a creature design. The yeah. queen, though, like just that yeah. design alone, the head. The mere fact that there is a head inside of the larger head. Like yeah, just yeah. that idea alone, though, is so brilliant, though. I love the spidery slash scorpion like look to, to her as well yeah. um and just the funnel that she uses yeah. to send the eggs through is just creepy AF. it's just so gross though <laughs> yeah gross. i don't know it's something about this movie and pregnancy i don't know it's just so messed mm. up though but just that reveal <laughs> of the queen though is brilliant in my opinion um i don't I, know if you guys have anything to say about the queen just that queen itself yeah, it's, it's another another great design. You know, it, it looks like again if you if you if you know anything about insects, it's like okay, you could see what drones are. By the way, in in real insects, most insects are female, so it's like okay, that makes sense, and you could understand why they do it like that. It it's it you could understand on the one hand, it's plausible enough to understand as as a real thing, and it's scary, but at the same time, it feels um it feels alien at the same time. Like because that that's the problem is that with if if stuff comes out comes out biologically a certain way on earth it would suffice to see that it would be like that out in space as well. So it makes perfect sense. Like I don't have a problem with any of this um logically no. And that's why that's why this works so well. Um she's a yeah. great designer. Her favorite yeah, design. Great, great designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the best designs in, in the alien franchise ever in my opinion though. 
Um, so Ripley now she she starts to talk the queen there. So you know me, she's launching the flamethrower at the eggs now. Um, there's like a blink the miss moment now when the queen looks at one of her guards and you see the guard just kind of walks back. You know what I mean? the guard like moving closer towards Ripley there, but she's like, no, step back, trust me, trust me what I'm seeing. Let's just move away, let's move away. I love that, right? And then one of the eggs, you know, hatches now. And then Ripley is like, you know what the hell with this, right? And then she just starts torching the place now. She just goes ham at this moment. She's torching eggs. She's shooting at Xenomorph. She's shooting grenades at the egg chamber. And, you know, she's like torching everything, though. Um, and there's like this quick moment, though, which I imagine... Um, many, many, many female viewers probably like when they see this is 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 when the queen like exits the funnel, like when she rips herself yeah. off of the funnel, though. Yeah. 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 Jesus. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy. Like I felt that. I felt that. Guts come out. That's what it looks. No, saying when you like when you 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 know you mash a cockroach. And the guts come out. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it makes Gross. sense. It, it's a good, like, good analog of a biological process. You know? It's like, mm. it, there's something, you know, a lot of animals will grow something and then they could rip it off of them just to move or escape or something like that. So, like, yeah, yeah so it's, it's mobile mode for the queen. She has to fight. She does say, okay, you know, you know, F this, I have to fight. And it, 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 it's logical. It makes sense. Yeah, it does, it does. I, I just I love the thought put into this film, though. Yeah, I get the feeling that a lot of research went into the behavior of insects and so on when they when they did this movie, when they had the design for the actual alien and the behavior of the queen and so on. Because mm. it is very insect, insect-like behavior. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, like, like, I would say, like, you know, in terms of just making a sci-fi story or just doing world building i mean just the the research and um, effort put into this flesh out this world though it's yeah. it, it's inspirational i imagine it continues to inspire many you know sci-fi writers and whatnot right mm-hmm. but yeah um what follows though is one of my favorite moments in this film though and i'll tell you the, the secret behind why i love it so much right so this is where the queen proceeds to chase after ripley and Newt, um, you know, the, 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 the time is, you know, the clock is ticking basically before the place blows up. And, you know, she, she reaches and, you know, she's like, you know, Bishop, you are oh, with his way. Uh, that, Bishop, you son of a bitch. Um, damn you to hell. Yeah, damn you. Or oh, damn you to hell, basically, right? Damn you to Bishop, hell, yeah. Yeah, Bishop yeah. shows up just in the nick of time in the drop ship now and they run in and, you know, they fly out just before the place blows up, right? What makes that scene work for me, though, is the music. That James Horner puts in the scene, and there's an odd call which I'll get into, but just that piece of music alone, yeah, that, though, is yeah. so tense, so kneel biting. That ten, 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 and it just keeps amping up, though. Every time <laughs> I see the sequence, I get chills. Like, like I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about that. It's like one of my favorite pieces of music in in film ever, in my opinion. Um, yeah. and, and y'all, y'all take the way on just that 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 sequence right. before the place was up. That man, recent um, Zack Snyder movie ripped this off completely. Um, oh God, is the zombie movie now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. story, complete ripoff. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that scene is so incredible in my opinion, right? 
So, um, similar to the first film, they do the thing where you think the aliens dead, but somehow they find a way onto like the the the, the new ship that they go to, and you know it's one of those things like you're not supposed to question. But for me, like ever so often, I just kind of ask myself. But you know, the queen's so big there. Well, it's not huge, huge. It's not gargantuan, but like how it got onto because it's it's kind of implied that it was on the dropship in the first place so by the time it reached to like the main ship basically it just kind of like waited for the right moment to attack her but still you know it's one of those things you just kind of wonder well you know like if it was on the ship like wouldn't there be some sort of like you know issue with weight you know with the ship flying i don't know it's just one of those things right yeah, no, that, that's the only thing I'll, I'll kind of excuse because I can understand it getting on, but like they won't have feel it in terms of weight. I'm not sure how much this could lift. It's like whatever. I, can, I, I just accept. Yeah, but I won't lie though. I won't lie to the film's credit though. Is a great, great twister because like right after Ripley's like you know complimenting um you know Bishop for Bishop. the work he did, one stab like backstab though to the guy's back though. And yeah, you just see literally um, the the queen's tail like stuck through this guy's chest though, and it gets even worse because he's pulled up now and then he's ripped in half. Yeah. No, I would yeah. love to be in that audience back in '96 when that movie premiered. Though, I just see how people like collectively lost their shit at that moment though it is still a very 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 impactful scene though but yeah imagine the first time people saw that they were like all right i'm done i can't watch this anymore <laughs> when this movie ends with the credits rule i just can't take it anymore it's just such a great just a really <laughs> shocking moment in my opinion Right, so I also would have loved to see people react to when the queen, you know, I mean she's just like ripping the panels um, to the floor now because yeah, um, Newt goes to hide now. You know, I mean that she's just like ripping it one by one now, as she's just moving, you know, food away from her. And then I would have just loved to see the audience like just cheer and lose their mind where you see Ripley come out in the loader and then she just drops the greatest line ever uttered by oh, yeah. Sigourney Weaver ever in her career. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> Best on-screen <laughs> surrogate mom ever. Mama beer, Mama beer. Hell yeah! And the funny thing is, when you when you when you think about it, it's it's the brilliance of it is it's two mama bears, you know, because it's right. this the queen is like, you know, you've been killing all my kids for yes, how yes, long yes. now? I love that. It's two mama know, bears. So it's way you know? both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as I bring up that summer, it's one of those things where it's like, but you know, really, yes, actually, exactly. you know, the, the, the queen kind of innocent and all of this. You know, she yeah. just like defended she eggs, she, yeah. her babies, and you all just come and just sort of shoot everything up and burn my, my eggs. Like, you, you can't blame her for being angry, though. Exactly. But, you know, she's yeah. big and monstrous and evil looking. So it's like, oh, yeah, we should hate her, right? But I feel it probably have people who kind of defend, you know, the, the, the queen, right? Whatever. Yeah. Um, well, as you're talking about that line, I say that that's a, a oft-parodied line. Um, yeah. I found one of the strangest places I found it was in a, a Phineas and Ferb episode. Oh, there was a character, wow. Yeah, there's a character, an alien character called Mitch. And um, Candace was like, <laughs> get away from her, you Mitch! And oh, I was like, <laughs> that was just the greatest uh, thing ever. Yeah. It was in Harry Potter to in um, Deathly Hallows. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I haven't watched the the Potter films in a in a in a while though, but all right, yeah. 
Alright, so I love how when he loaded, um, Ripley is just like straight up like bitch slapping the queen and knocking her down though. Of course the queen does, you know, her little sticking and moving of her own, you know what I mean? So she can yeah, hold her own Ripley there. And as far as like a fight goes, like I mean yes, it's not like two humans fighting, but I mean it's a person in a mech suit fighting against an alien. It is so well choreographed too and well executed, yeah. well put yeah. together as well too. I love the payoff as well with the queen being, you know, sucked out of space. You know, with the, you know, the sort of um, pod bay doors basically and flies out. It's very reminiscent of the first film, of course, right? But you know, again, that that song, that piece of music that James Horner makes, um, you know, composed, sorry, please, in this moment though, and I love it. And is where you know, again, you know, I'm just where it leads up to the end now, where Ripley now has to close those um those those doors. I just hear that ten 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 ten, and just the tension. Uh, I don't. Know, I just I just love that piece of music. I, I should actually look up the name of it, but I love it, right? But yeah, um, and oh by the way, and thanks so much, movie, for playing that piece of music again. I just love that, right? So yeah, there's a nice moment where Newt hugs Ripley and calls her mommy. And you know, like the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, that's like that was like I was always wondering if it was like a typo or if it was like a goof or something like that. But you know, like the more I think about it, it's like, well, you know, it, it makes sense with the mother-daughter dynamic, and you know, it's just such a, a beautiful moment, actually, right? So um Hicks is put in hypersleep, well, sorry, they, they, they go into cryosleep. Um, Bishop, who's split in half, but he's alive, basically, he's put yeah. in, like, this clear body bag, and Newton, Ripley, you know, sleep peacefully. And that's where it ends, right? But in a blink and missing moment, actually, it's one of those things that you had a, like, you know, it's one of those Easter eggs, basically, if you want to call it that, right? If you listen to, like, the last five seconds of the movie, like, when you see Released by 20th Century Fox Corporation, you hear the sound of something scurrying, and it's implied that it's a face hugger. So, All if right. you go into either tree, that's what caused the, you know, the crash and all that kind of stuff that happened, you know, that led into the beginning of, of either tree. I was like, okay, okay, yeah. that's, that's clever. I like that. That's, that's cool. So, you know, even back then, they were doing little sequel BT stuff there, you know what I mean? But not exactly saying, yes, folks are going to get a sequel. So, I love that, right? So, in closing, um, Aliens is hands down one of the best sequels ever made. It's one of my all-time favorite sequels, one of my all-time favorite sci-fi films, horror films, action films, sci-fi action horror films ever, in my opinion, though. For me, it shows just like 2D to 2, right? Which I still put above this and, you know, like I still consider 2D to 2 to be like the best action film of all time, best sequel ever made. Um, but this one, Aliens, I would say comes at a third because I, I still have to give respect to you know the godfather part two because that to me is like the archetype of how to do proper sequel you know a proper sequel filmmaking right but yeah with this one here boy um this was the one that that, that like you, you like for me like two two was like all right that's james cameron is is his property he's doing what he wants and making it work but for him to just come in and take what somebody established before yeah, and exactly. amp it up in all the right ways though without diluting what the first film did and you know with, without saying okay the first film don't matter because this one is much better like that's not what he did he was able to balance though like i'm gonna make my own version of it but you know taking what was great in the first film and just amping it up by five like that's what he does so yeah for me though this is this is one of the best um films i've ever seen 
Um, so for me, I'm going to give this a strong. I'm, I'm, I'm not even a strong. This is a, a straight up five out of five stars, man. See this movie before you die. This is an example of how to do a sequel right, though. Just everything. Just just everything was just amped up, and not just that too. But we just get a strong performance from from Sigourney um, Sigourney Weaver, which is very 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 much um, deserving of the Oscar nomination that she got. Imagine she actually won for that though. Like, like just think about that for a second. If she actually uh, won an Oscar for being in a sci-fi action horror film, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that would have been so genius. They, that would have been so they, great. Um, would have changed the world, you know. Even in modern times, they they um they struggle to give horror the props it deserves. I mean, you know, it's so we we just have as horror fans, we we have to give it the props ourselves. Yeah, no genre films. Genre films always have that props. It's like a general yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, what what Cameron and his team, the cast and crew, were able to do, not just with the with the scares though, but just with the world building, the design. Like, <clears throat> like I was like while recapping this, I was thinking to myself, if I was a kid back in 1986 though, I think this was like the dopest shit ever though. And if I was like really, really deep into sci-fi, this would have been one of the films I would have go back to. And you know, this would have been one that, that a film that would have made me wanna like jump into sci-fi writing or filmmaking or whatnot though. Because yeah, I mean at the time though it was just such a perfectly made film. You know what I mean? And it just I would just say in closing now, I would argue it just raised the standards of sci-fi just going forward. Um not just in terms of like ETs, you know, blockbuster filmmaking though. But just onward, though, it just raised the bar so high as far as what, you know, sci-fi films does, um, should do that. And, you know, it's only, like, you know, five years later where Cameron would do that even further with Terminator 2 Judgment Day, just, just constantly raising that bar now. So, again, like what I said with Terminator 2 Review, um, I don't know what he's going to do with Avatar 2. We, we should have gotten that years ago. The last one came out, what, 2009? I know I know some people don't, don't want to see it, but I want to see it, you know what I mean? Whatever. But this was Cameron just really showing off his talents here. Like the first time he was like, "Yeah, this man, this man, you know, he, he have it, he have it." But this one was like, "Nah, but I really had to show you the goods. I really had to show you my skills." And he just went above and beyond the Call of Duty to just show how much of a great filmmaker he is. Though, so yeah, not much more I could say. Five out of five stars. One of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. Uh, Julian, final thoughts are written. I mean, you echoed my thoughts. Uh, one of my favorite sci-fi movies. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Uh, one of my favorite of all time. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, five out of five. Um, easy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Tracy, final thoughts on Rated, if any. Uh, okay, let's start with the fact that there is some sort of gecko in or uh, in or around my room. So the idea of hearing kek, 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 are we talking aliens? <laughs> okay, guys. Oh, there's um, one in my kitchen. <laughs> it's always there in my they kitchen. They live all over the place. It's very annoying. But no. So I'm, I would give it a four out of five. I would give it a four out of five. I don't really have a, a problem with it. I, I appreciate it for moving cinema forward. In terms of, I'm going to agree with you, in terms of sequelness, it's right up there for me, like with Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back will always have a very high place in my mind. So I would give it a four out of five. I think the acting is cool. I think there really are a lot of one-liners in there that lives on f- till today. Um, in fact, there that whole get away from her, you bitch, was also in one of the screams. 
So it's just one of those. <laughs> it's just one of those things that lives on. Um, good movie overall. All right, uh, Alice. Final thoughts on Rachel. Um, I agree with with everything that you guys said. Um, it's one of the best sequels in terms of uh, sci-fi, and even in terms of a horror. Um, the actress Sigourney Weaver, uh, as well, too, making history by winning something for that genre. Um, I always loved her. Very, very talented actress. And um, I guess, like you, you guys said, uh, very much. It's pretty much like a a map of how a sequel should be done. You know, it's pretty much a roadmap. Um, I'll give it a solid nine out of ten. All right. Uh, Summer, final thoughts on Rita. Um, there's this moment. That that moment where in the final battle where the queen the the, the bay doors are open and the queen is getting sucked on into space and she's holding on to Ripley's ankle and Ripley does not fall under that weight and okay. I love that movie so much that I don't care it's it's like the only real plot uh, issue I have in it it's, and it's, I, it's not it's not really weight. It's it's suction. It's blowing. Yeah, and I think she, you know, considering she's there holding on with one hand and she manages to like pull the lever and stuff. I I I've always wonder, you know, is she really strong enough? The queen must weigh like, you know, a couple hundred. No, it's not. It's, it's not weight. It's not weight. It's in space. It's 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 the force blowing, blowing, blowing. No, so right. But but to the untrained eye, Ricardo, some people might think you know mean how she's able to hold that. But you know, it just this how I would have thought of it before my uh before Ricardo explained that to me. Like I that that's the one part where I I stumble and yet that movie is just it's just I always finish it and I'm like satisfied, fully satisfied by what I saw. And like you guys said, it did so much for uh taking what people were doing before and saying okay no this is not good enough this is what you guys need to live up to now you know and every every movie that pushes that standard it's because alien started that that trend you know of always stepping it up uh, that's what cameron does in his film so at least visually <laughs> so um yeah for me this movie is a nine out of ten i i absolutely love it and I, I definitely do rewatch it at least once a year. And of all of the films, it's the one film if I feel like watching an Aliens movie, this is the one that I'm going to put on. So. Right. Right. And last but not least, Ricardo, final thoughts on Rita. Yeah, this is nothing short of an action masterpiece. Um, it's excellent in terms of pacing, storytelling, building, character work. Uh, I have very, very few problems with this film. Again, it's only really the Vasquez thing. That's it. <laughs> everything else is everything else works mostly well. Um, it's it's just good filmmaking all around. You know, Cameron is he really shines in this film because he, he does he does such a different take to the to the material, and yet and it's a different beast from the original film. Now, I, I I put the original film above this one, um, but it's still it, this one still really like does a good job of what to do with a with a, a franchise and material and building. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I give this a nine out of ten, maybe like a nine point five or something like that. But yeah, great, 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 great film. All right. So yes, I'm happy twenty fifth anniversary to Aliens. I hope that this movie continues to inspire us, you know, film lovers and you know, sci fi buffs and whatnot, and you know, just people who just want to just you know just knock people's socks off in the way as far as movies go, but and 
yeah, I mean, let's see, you know, we the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, how much more of an impact this movie leaves on the film world. So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, um, but definitely check it out. Like like I said, see it before you die. Um, if you haven't and you could stomach it, really, after see this, if you could stomach it, yeah, definitely check it out, man. All right, so stick it with space that we but we also deal with um with time i should say i was going to say time travel but yeah with time basically let's finally talk about the full season one haha slight spoiler ha, of loki and speaking of slight spoilers yeah this is going to get spoilery because by now we, we kind of have to get spoilery right so uh ricardo and tracy and i we, we we talked about the you know the series premiere of it uh, we were impressed by it uh, in terms of, you know, just the predicament that, that Loki was put into, right? Just basically uh, being this sort of, like, god, like, fish out of water, basically. But, you know, he's dealing with time stuff, and, you know, it has this Kafka-esque kind of vibe to everything and whatnot. And it's just all these questions, like, wondering what's going on, you know, who's a variant and all these kind of things. Uh, but, you know, before I get into, like, my thoughts on the overall season, uh, Ricardo, just want to just give us, like, a quick run-through of what you know, Loki was about? Sure. Um, so basically, Thanos, sometime in 2018, snapped away a bunch of people, half their population. The Avengers come up with this cockamamie plan to time travel and sort that out. Uh, Hulk had to take the stairs and by accident gave Loki the space stone instead of him going back to Asgard. And that starts and creates the story. Uh, basically, Loki steals the stone and goes off and becomes something called a variant, right? So right when he thinks he escapes and, and wants to continue his life, uh, this organization called the Time Variant Authority um, comes in and basically, you know, grabs him up and tells him, all right, well, look, after you can't exist, and here's why and how. And then that's where the adventure starts, where he, instead of being caught up with this Time Variant Authority, a guy called Mobius, played by your boy Owen Wilson, uh, kind of task him to solve a problem for him. And that problem is there's another Loki variant that's causing a bunch of problems. And that's basically the story. It's just him having to look for this Loki variant, which is why this person is doing what they're doing. And then that's where the story starts and builds from there. Well, what I would do, right, uh, what I would do is I would just kind of just share my overall thoughts on the, on the season, right? And then, you know, I mean, before we get into Rita's, we could talk about that finale because... You know, the, the finale certainly left us with a lot of questions, do and theories and whatnot. But I would love to hear what you all thought about it and where you think the, the series or see the MCU will go from there, right? So for me, right? Uh, we, we we actually well, you know, I spoke to someone about this um, off air, right? What I what I've been loving about these MCU, these phase four MCU shows thus far is that they always come with something different. So, you know, WandaVision okay. is not like Falcon and Winter Soldier. Loki is definitely not like those two, right? So I know for some people, they will not really like it or they might just find it all overrated all that kind of stuff, right? And I would admit, just like with WandaVision, or I should say more like with Falcon with the Soldier, this show plays out more, it, it works better if you watch it as this five-hour movie, right? When you watch it, I find like when you watch it episodic, uh, or, or unless you like you're so heavily invested in everything that goes on that you remember every Easter egg, every reference, every line uttered in the previous episode. So when you go into the, the, the subsequent episode now, you're excited as hell, right? But for me, it's just like, oh yeah, that happened. I, remember, I have to remember Tingster. So 
Luckily for me, though, on the day when the finale dropped, I was able to just kind of uh, just watch over the whole season. Uh, and for me, that made me appreciate the show more. And uh, for me, what I I would say, yes, this this is another win for for uh, Marvel Studios. But this, what what how this show like really clicked with me though, is the existential crisis that uh, that that Loki goes through. It's yep. just that whole idea that this person who is so full of himself, right, who wants to be larger life because he's a god, right, you know, full stuff, and how he kind of slowly realizes, you know, in, in a great moment in the, in the uh, premiere episode, uh, be practically being told by by Mobius now, yeah, you you're actually kind of meaningless. Your 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 purpose basically was to make the Avengers look big, right? You know, it, it just seen it in, in Lehman's tools, right? And just him kind of just that 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 bombshell boom, and then seeing how we've seen his his character play out, right? With you know the Dark Will. I love how you know the MCU constantly makes us know the Dark Will is significant. I don't care if you didn't like the movie, it's significant, right? So that and Ragnarok and showing well basically how his mom and how his parents died and all that kind of stuff, and him realizing that for the first time that even right now to him seeing that oh these infinity stones that was a deal and they're all like you know uh, uh you know they just they're just there people's well the tbe's basically they, they're just there they, uh, they are that's like it's nothing you know just kind of like him just kind of in this crisis as i say that it's him to kind of understand wow you mean really all this stuff i was fighting for is me and lester and him throughout this season now kind of realizing that look i have to figure what my purpose is right if okay so clearly it's not about world domination so it has to be about something and I was engaged by this though. Like that to me is what makes this whole show work. Like, yes, there's all the references to other movies and you know stuff that may happen soon enough. But it's what he went through as a character though that really, really clicked with me though. And I mean, I'm, I'm always a fan of like existential crisis in film anyway, right? So just seeing a character like Loki who's so stuck up from the beginning, right? Go through this this journey and literally does a complete 180 character wise though. Really made that show work for me though. Uh, also, what I particularly loved though was just like the production design, just how they just create this really weird atmospheric mood throughout though. Uh, very Brazil like, you know, what I mean? yeah, just as a reference to Hitchhiker's Terry. Guide too. I, that came to mind while I was watching it Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the, yeah. the, 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 yeah. Burak, the, the whole TVA thing. Yes, kept yes, bringing that exactly. to mind. Yeah, yeah the, the whole idea of, you know, just people in the TV are thinking, yes, we're doing, you know, the right thing and all that kind of stuff. And then you have characters like Hunter B-15, played by McGill, would be Mosaku, um, realizing, oh, wait, no, this is all a lie. Then you have characters like Ravuda uh, Renslayer, right, who believes in this thing so much, though, you know what I mean? She's willing to, like, sacrifice her friends, you know what I mean, or, or, or colleagues, basically, just to believe that, you know, this thing is all correct and we, you know, we. This is what we're fighting for, right? The sacred timeline, all that kind of stuff. Uh, at first, I was iffy about, you know, Sylvie. That's the the Loki variant that he confronts her. But you know, uh, it she grew on me with the, you know, with the, um, uh, for you know, with the couple episodes afterwards, right? Uh, I wouldn't admit though, episode three was one that I was iffy about. That's the Lamentus episode. But when I watched it over again, I was like, yeah, I kind of love this too because for me, in a nutshell, what it shows is that. You know, you 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 think you could try to, you know, you know, uh, like you know, it's all about destiny, and you could control your own fate. Cause that's a major theme in this film, um, in this series. Now, I could control my own fate, and you know, free will and all that kind of stuff. 
And then even with them trying to escape, and it's like with all the stuff that they do, all the effort that they put into, and they still didn't make it, right? And just ending off on that note. I love that, right? And yeah, you know what I mean? Just her, you know, uh, her issue as well too, with her timeline being being wiped away, her being snatched from it, you know what I mean? From her home at Asgard as a little girl just because and this her on the run and all these things. It clicked with me though. I will bring up my issue with her in the final episode, right? But it's just what these characters go through. Just kind of realizing there's a bigger you know, stake. There's a bigger purpose out there for me. It's not just about revenge. It's not just about, you know, this or that. There's there's other big things involved there. And see them learn this was great. Um, I really, really dug um, the fourth, sorry, the, the, the fifth episode basically where um, where they run into the other Lokis as well. Uh, although one great performance, we could have got a little bit more out of the, the other Lokis. Like they were just there, like um, there was the, what was the uh, the one who's running for president, whoever it is. Yeah, yeah. Loki, boastful Loki, yeah. classic yeah. Loki, and kid Loki. Yeah, I, I feel we could have got a little bit more of, forget, of Loki. Loki. Sorry? Don't forget Gator Loki. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gator Loki. Yeah, how how can we forget, we forget yeah. Gator Loki? <laughs> you know? Uh, but, you know, that just just the mere fact that they thought that they, they had life figured out, and then they just got sucked into this void, as they call it. I realized that, oh, wait, you know what I mean? It's not just about me. It's about other people, right? That, that's just really what these characters learn. And I love that. Um, seeing characters kind of learn that they have these powers, like, you know, enchantment. And, you know, there's that great moment with classic Loki, you know, creating this Asgard with the enchantment together, you know, doing the glorious purpose. Mm-hmm. That was just such a great moment, though. You know what I mean? I think we but, saw, we saw uh, sorry, but we, we saw pieces of that, too, when um, we got that uh Kind of a long take. We know it had cuts in there with uh, Sylvie and Loki trying to make it to the ship to escape. And yeah. Loki, Loki. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The episode three. To, yeah. yeah, to hold up the the um the falling uh debris. We, you know, everybody's like, we've never seen Loki been that powerful before. So I think we were seeing um Loki's potential in all these different Lokis. Yeah, no, he's he's a solid magic user. You know, he's got the moms of Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I particularly dug the music for this though. Um, it's yes. very, you know, Wendy Carlos. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, uh, Vangelis inspired as well too. You know, be with the synth and all that kind of stuff, and just how dark and you know, kind of murky it all feels though. Especially that theme song, it it, it works. Um, and just as a whole though, I just love the fact that you know it's about this character. So I know for some people they might come out of it as like, but you know, it's just a bunch of talk and dialogue and existentialism and you know what's my purpose and blah 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 blah. Where's the action, man? Is the MCU show what going on? You know what I mean? And I mean you do get action and you do get fights and whatnot, but you know, that's not really the point, or that's not really what I take out of this show, which is I mean, which is shocking, right? For me, it's just the dilemma of what you know Loki was going through and just how he was just able to kind of figure things out though. Um just last thing last though, I thought the performances were great across the board though. Tom Hiddleston shines so much as Loki though. You you do buy into his crisis, you know, we just being this this god, you know what I mean, with you know, um oh gosh, uh just just basically just kind of thinking that he's, you know, it the he's the shit basically. And then just him being pulled down into reality and realizing, yeah. oh, wait, actually I'm not, you know what I mean? I just I just love the performance that he gave there. Uh, everybody else came through as well. Owen Wilson was was great as well. Sophie Di Marta, uh, Martino, who plays Sylvie, she was great as well. Um, somebody, you know, even uh, Richard E. Grant, who shows up as classic, you know, Loki, was great as well. 
There's one particular actor who I'll get into with the final episode. I'll talk about him in a bit. But yeah, for me though, I could understand why some people might kind of look back at the whole season and be like, well, I don't know, this kind of just gimmicky and it's just about like setting up future movies and it's not really about anything. But for me, it's just how they were just able to take this character and just say, here's what, we just got to have you go through the motions and just really make you understand your place in the universe. And lastly, last, what I really love about the show too is how it just kind of seamlessly blend fantasy and sci-fi to the point that I would I would make the argument, y'all, y'all could disagree with the word, out of these three MCU shows as far, this one feels the most like it comes com- um, directly out of a comic book. It feels yeah. so comic book life though, but in all the right ways in my opinion. So imaginative, so colorful. Well, maybe not colorful, but just so out there, just so crazy, so fun, so deep though, and so profound as well, to which which really surprised me. So um at the moment I can't say that this is like the best MCU show I've seen maybe by years, and I could kinda of look back at all three and be like, all right, this one is the best show. But yeah, this is another win, another solid window for, for the MCU. Uh, Ricardo, um, quick thoughts on the, the, the season before we get to the finale. Yeah, yeah. Um, overall, I, I really liked it for what it was. Um, I, I loved the finale and what it was trying to do. With, with, especially when they revealed who it was. It's pretty awesome. We'll talk about him. Um, I just had a lot of fun with it. It was... it. The only issue I'd complain about is, um, is the, the, the episode five, I really felt they could have done more with those movies. Like that should have been a big arc, like a, maybe a little mini arc, like Agreed. in a big box. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but as you bring up that, if if it does have one gripe, it's it's kind of like a, it's kind of is and kind of isn't, right? So watching it as a as a five hour show, you know, we like I understand if they just went one two more episodes because that was like my gripe now like this shouldn't have been right. six episodes this should have been at, at least eight right because we could have gotten right. yeah. a little bit more detail a bit more flesh not though but i would imagine with if there was if it was eight episodes or six um people would have been scratching their heads even more boy because yeah this is what right. those shoes like i make a joke you know we like you just had a pull up a whiteboard and do like um you know um those folks in big bang theory and just draw diagrams and you know equations <laughs> just to figure out the whole progression of this story man you know what i mean but yeah yeah no, well for me, for me it was reasonable so reasonably easy to follow on average I, I didn't have a big issue with any of it um but again i'm a big comic dude that's just do this bullshit all the time so it it was it's fine uh i i dug it for it was again it, they really should have just done a lot more with the lokis i, I felt like i have done more if anybody ever see a show called super Geo, um there's an episode called i've time been Super-Gill. meeting too uh, but i haven't right. yeah i haven't i haven't jumped on any super Geo train i know i yeah. saw but yeah yeah, yeah the, 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 the season one finale has an episode called time police and it's very similar premise and i really wanted that level of chaos coming into the storyline but yeah other than that I, I really enjoyed what it was and then when they bring in they paid off something i i call it i call it auto loki failure because like loki and sophie you know work together with each other uh work, sorry loki and sylvie um work, work together with each other pretty well and that makes a lot of sense in terms of where the story was going and why it was the two of them was necessary for the story. And then, yeah, we basically get Willy Wonka figure coming through and, and opens up a whole, you know, well, the next 10 years of the MCU, right, effectively. Mm. Uh, I, I, I really, really love this one. It was, I can't say I enjoyed it as much as WandaVision. Um, right. But I enjoyed it about the same as, as um, Falcon. Okay. I, really I really dug this. All right. Okay, okay. Uh, Alice, well, quick thoughts on the 
season itself. Uh, but we'll leave the, the finale for, for last. But yeah, your, your thoughts. Okay. Um, I hope you don't, that you guys don't think of me a bit weird in my comparison. Um, well, I, I looked at it in its entirety like it was one giant movie, right? Like how you were suggesting, and it it um it flows better. I agree with you in in that aspect. Um, the thing about it for me is the whole. I looked at it as a, a, a big metaphor, including the time variant and and the time variant authority being um the ones that had the authority to say, okay, you're a variant and you don't belong in the timeline and and this sort of thing and them wanted to basically say that they were in control of your destiny. You have no control over what your future, your future has been written out for you. You can't do anything about it. And um, the, the history of the sacred timeline and, and, and so on about wanting to control it because it was just utter chaos before and it came at a time where the world was in a crisis because of the timelines and so on and they were like the um they were like the saviors and and stuff like that i don't know why um nazis and all those things kept coming into my head while i was watching that i looked at the entire thing like they were nazis trying to control people and they were the ones to say okay like like the jews they, they were the ones to say that okay the jews had no rights and that kind of thing i don't know why i kept coming to that metaphor while i was watching it well, you're, you're probably not if... far off it though like um you yeah. know, just, yeah, just of... how they just believe so 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 fervently on you know what so, this yes. thing about the secret timeline you know yes and they don't know anything else and the 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 um even the 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 people who working for the for the time variant authority um including Ravonna, they, they insisted that this is the right way to do things and there is there is no other way. It has to be this, almost almost as if they were brainwashed into thinking that this is the only right way and you're not questioning the information that's being fed to you, you, you know? So I don't know, I just analyzed it that way in my head. Um, so that right. is what I got from the whole, the whole plot uh, and so on. Um, that's what resonated with me. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom Hiddleston and his role that he plays as Loki. Um, I, like yourself, I enjoyed it, the internal con- conflict, um, him coming down from being such a, a narcissist and thinking that, okay, he will be God's gift to man and he, he will free us from the way that we think and so on, which is probably not too far from the Nazism thinking. And then his character doing a total 180. And then actually wanting to actually free the world of the time variant authority. Um, it, it really is a, a lovely change for the character. And um, I do have issues with the Sylvie character where she annoyed me in, in a few instances and and so on. Because she as well just had, okay, this one thought. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I would have reacted the same as she would have um, in terms of being plucked out from from your home as a child and then just people arresting you and telling you you're a time variant. Maybe I would have had the same reaction that she has to certain things. Um, but she just has like an unexplainable rage that, that powers her and she doesn't trust anybody. And I don't know, that lack of trust that she had, uh, uh, I couldn't wrap my head around it too good. So 
I had my issues with, with that character. And I also um I'm depending on you guys to explain to me the whole um the whole finale as well too because that um kind of has me confused. Okay, we will we we we'll try our best. We'll try our best. Cracks knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, don't worry, Trace. We're gonna save you for last, right? Because no, 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 no pets, Oh but. no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Julian, quick thoughts on the the season. Um, of course, we're gonna leave the finale for last. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, really interesting show. Definitely, you see, Marvel is is doing different things with each show, which I appreciate. Which is something you do get. You know, somewhat in their movies. Um, yeah, um, positives. Um, Tom Hiddleston was fantastic throughout. Um, Google and Bartha Rao played Rensley. I think really good cast. Um, as I said, Sophie DiMantino you know, as Sylvia as well. Two really strong cast, really great acting, really great drama. Um, I love the visuals, uh, the action when it did have action as well, too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And I saw some comparison to Doctor Who, but I mean, other than the, yeah, yeah I mean, other than, well, okay, he traveled time and space and stuff, but I didn't get much of a Doctor Who vibe from it. Um, as um, someone mentioned earlier, in like the first couple episodes, you did get a, like a kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, especially the um, <laughs> film version of it as well. Yeah, I'm all got a bit of that. Um, I, know, um, I do have issues with the show, though. Um, I think. I mean, some people found it was so, but I do find there was an issue sometimes with the bantering, I would call it, where, I mean, yes, yes there was, some of it was exposition, but some of it was just, hey, let's just have a long scene of funny bantering. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it, you're bantering, but can we move on? Which I, I found kind yeah. of drag down the show a bit, and I mean, it's six episodes, not a lot of episodes. So for me, things actually kind of started to pick up from episode two, go off. Um... Yeah, so I think overall a good show. Um, I still think it could have been better, and I still think um, some of the episodes could have been paced a little better, and it could have you know infused a lot, you know, a lot more, but a little more action into it. But I think yeah, still a, a very good series, and yeah, I will be there for season two. All right, uh, Summer, your thoughts on the the season? Of course, we're gonna get to to the finale soon enough. Right. Um, well, yeah. Overall, I enjoyed it uh, a lot. And a lot of the strength of it is definitely the strength of the performances. You know, everybody involved really tries to sell what they're what they're putting out. And and I think um, for the most part, they do a strong job of it. Um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I mean, here's the thing. Loki was always going to be a good guy at some point in time because we got that in the movies. You know, so it's not for me, it wasn't so much a 180 as it was going to happen at some point in time. And he just kind of needed it, people to slap him in the face with the fact that you are you are not who you think you are. You know, um, the the special effects of visuals. I love the building designs more than anything else. I, I really love the design of the TVA, how weird it is, everything. Um, it looks retro and yet it doesn't, yeah. you know. Um, Owen Wilson surprised me as Mobius. I'm not an Owen Wilson fan, but I really do think he does a, a great job. They have this nice kind of um, um, 48 hours, you know, kind of thing going on with each other. Their dynamic works really well. And um, I, I'm with Julian in that it does pick up for me from episode two. 
you know, episode one, it, it lays the foundation. I kind of felt the same way with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Episode one wasn't all of that. And then it really does kind of try to hit the ground running at that point. And yeah, overall, I think they have something really good here. And if we were ranking them, I'm still thinking about where it would fall for me among these three shows that they recently came out with. So I have to, I have to give that one a little more thought. But Overall, Loki, Loki's a win for me. Right. And last but not least, Tracy, uh, quick thoughts on the on the season, and then we'll jump into um, into the finale. And that's fine. Um, just to kind of piggyback off of something that Alice was saying, I, I, in terms of the Nazism, the propaganda for me was, I, I think that, that that's that's the connective scene there in terms of. Like I could see how you could how how the Nazi reference could come in because in like manner there is that propaganda um, as to how it spreads. So for me, here's my thing. I had this uh, tweet um, that I put out some time back that because you know we were all still people were still going down the Mephisto road, not necessarily Mephisto, but who's going to show up at the end? Um, and I I put out the tweet that said, you know, uh, when it comes to these MCU movies, we are looking at the the big bad of the series and by extension, you know, the reveal of a big bad in a wrong way in terms of Wanda was about grief and how you deal with that trauma. Falcon and the Winter Soldier's um, big villain was prejudice and racism it's not really the flag smashers or the u.s agents or agatha mm. so for me looking at uh loki's series the big bad and and by extension the motivation here wasn't so much timekeepers or you know stray variants or any of that sort of stuff it, for me it was battling the self and you got to see throughout that entire series the idea of battling yourself in a form where the self is external because you you, you can you trust yourself can you um um uh, you, well literally can you trust yourself to 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 do the right thing um if you could go back and change decisions about yourself would you do it and if you could what would that affect here you actually have a character who you know for all intents and purposes at least you know he thought he could move through time and all that kind of stuff in order to either um, as in like the first episode when he actually had the, 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 the Tesseract move through time and change his order and change his feet. And then over the course of the six episodes, you got to see different versions of himself all struggling with similar um, similar similar realities. There's a there's a there's a scene in one of the episodes. I think it's, it's it is episode five where our Loki is disgusted. He's literally frustrated with all his other versions of himself, you know, he literally says, mm. this is a nightmare. When he sees President Loki doing his thing and boastful Loki doing his thing and Kid Loki, it's like, this is a nightmare. And we've all had those cringeworthy moments where you just look at yourself or you remember something about yourself and be like, good God. Uh, so for me, that was just brilliant. I, I, I loved the idea of it. Um, Matthew knows, Sir Bailey knows um, that in terms of where I felt that everything should have lied, I wanted it to be WandaVision, Loki, and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, yeah. Primarily because Falcon and the Winter Soldier is one of those things I love. I look forward to seeing the uh, the effects of Falcon and the Winter Soldier in the movies. But it is so very 
I'm using the word ground level because like in terms of like uh, spies and espionage, that kind of stuff. So we have that in Winter Soldier and that sort of vibe. I want to see mystical and magic yeah. and, and, and weird. And so Wanda with her sitcom life turning into the idea of the witchcraft and everything like that, that was weird. I loved it. Loki being, you know, space, time, self-reflection, um, you know, we'll we'll talk about the finale when we talk about the finale, but there's there's one particular Doctor Who element that I was, you know, I saw there and I was like, oh, this is this is much this is this is a lot of heights. Um, and then just to kind of wrap in terms of like people's perceptions of it, I think the best thing about in fact, I actually haven't written on here. The best thing about the MCU is also the worst, which is the connection to everything. You look at how other studios do a thing and it's like, here's a movie and here's another movie and this Joker doesn't go in this timeline and that Batman, we don't know where he lives. But with the MCU, every little thing connects to everything, which means if I am um, invested in the next 10 years, I want to know, is Doctor Doom going to show up? Is the Fantastic Four going to show up? What? Are, how are you going to bring in the mutants? You know, uh, Deadpool recently did an ad for Ryan Reynolds, did an ad for Freeview, and you had Cog and Deadpool, and like about an yeah. hour afterwards, there was a whole bunch of theories as to what that could mean. Yeah. So with that in mind, the MCU has actually set itself up, I, I want to say in a corner, where you're sitting down watching a show like WandaVision or Falcon or, or Loki, and you're looking at it, yes, but you're also wondering who's going where. Because like I remember with WandaVision, there's a, there's when, when Monica was saying that she has this friend who is a scientist, and granted they could have dealt yeah. with that a little bit better, but everybody was like, that has to be Sue Storm so or right. Reed. So we're already looking 15 years into a future that is on a board somewhere in Feige's office, but it's not ready to be developed yet. And that, I think, sometimes stunts um, viewing pleasure because I'm, I, I, you know, like going into Loki, I was like, I'm not going to Mephisto the scene. I'm going to enjoy every episode as it is and see what I like and what I don't like. Um, but I feel that that is a thing that works both for and against Marvel, and it's just a situation that we're going to have to deal with. You know, when they come out with Secret Wars, because they're doing a Secret Wars TV series on Disney+, Plus. when they come out with Secret Wars, it's going to be another scene. When they come out with What If in August, it's going to be like, oh, well, now what does that even mean? That's going to be right. another height. Um, I, I, I think, sorry, on. not to cut you off, Tracy, but I think it's it, it comes back to the, the battle that has been there from the beginning of time. DC and Marvel trying to one-up each other. And, you know, the CW did, did a really decent job of that whole uh, infinite multiverse, infinite crisis and all the different Earths and stuff like that. So here's Marvel like, OK, well, we have to bring in the multiverse at some point in time. But then we have DC doing something really wonderful with their animated universe, which is like, oh, yeah. we're not going to force all of this to connect. We're just going to tell stories. And that's why it's working so well. And they've done that with their movies in a sense, too. You know, with Shazam and all of them that, yeah, we all exist in the same universe, but we don't need to force these pieces to fit together. So you yeah. have to ask yourself how long Marvel can keep this up for, you know? Um, yeah, I think, I, I think the Marvel people have a good sense of 
what's going forward. Like they, they clearly was gonna do a thing and then they say, All right, like do it here instead of here. Because I, I'm surprised that they're leading into the multiple stuff so heavily. Uh, but it's still working for what it is because well we had to talk about who's the person who's the main multiverse man mm-hmm. in the comics. Like that, he's a super goofy character, but Thanos is a goofy character too, and they make yeah. that work. Yeah, so, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so I want to, I want to see what they're gonna do with it uh, going forward. Yeah, there's a lot of meta meta commentary because I was I was interpret <laughs> interpret the TVA as as um Marvel itself. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's the idea, of, the idea of controlling a single timeline, and then now there are multiple timelines, and then yeah. you have all of that shit of Spider-Man, and you know all of that. Even right? Captain America, you know, they have to like, okay, so that I think that that's where the, the questions fans really started. Like, okay, what is this? How is there an old yeah. cap? Where's my young cap? How did this stuff happen? So we like multiverse, right. you know. And it's kind of interesting in in that regard. It's almost uh, because what the directors for the Russos, what the Russos said for Endgame in terms of time travel and the rules, and then what uh, the writers, uh, Marcus and McFeely, said about the rules, it was two different answers that more or less contradicted each other. So now you're actually entering into phase four with the madness of the multiverse you realize it's a nice way to smoothen everybody's answers out and be like, well, you know what, this yeah. is like actually the scene. Right. Because, because they, they, they effectively do this thing that I, I thought they should have done for Endgame, but they're doing it for Phase 4 entirely. Right? They're settling, settling up a bunch of multiple shit and then paying that off eventually at the, at the end point. And yeah, I, I enjoy what, they, what they're doing with it. But yeah, like, like talk about the big man, the big man himself. Yeah, yeah, let's let's do that, right? So you know, the big reveal is that the guy who's doing everything now is, as he's called here, he who remains, right? But we learn it's actually the first instance, like the first time we see Kang the Conqueror, right? You know, the the, the character that we were we were told was was going to be introduced in, I believe, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness film, right? Ant Man. Oh, sorry, Ant Man. Ant Man, right? Right, right, the only right. question, but well, just one quick thing is that is it is he who remains? Has it always been that character? Because nope. I could swear in the nope. comic books it was a different. Yeah. That's no, what I'm thinking. It was a different. No, the merge character. But you merge character. So yeah, he, he, the one who remains was so, if I remember correctly, the one who remains so that's supposed to be the last TV agent. He was and, the last time people. Right. He, yeah, he, that, he had I, made I, everything. Yeah, I, I thought right. I was going to look that the, the purpose of the TV at the end point is just to figure out a way to reset everything. And in a sense, that's right. kind of what they do. So just, they just make the one remains a variant of Kang. Because remember, they, they never say the word Kang in the episode at all, right? Um, no. no. He just says a conqueror, describe? right? That you're just supposed yeah, to yeah, kind of put two or two yeah. together. But it means Immortus. Right, right, yeah. Who they describe is some Immortus, a little bit of Nathaniel Richards, and all of that stuff, right? So mm-hmm. the, the, that's what it means. Yeah, so that's the that's mix up mix up a bunch of, um, as one thing in the, in, in the big description sequence is a, a little bit a little too much of a, a, a input. Quite good. It's fine. Right. All right. Well, well, my quick thoughts on the, the final episode for all time always is the name of it, right? So I do like the idea that we see it's the bad guy that's going to, you know, really kick off um, Phase 4 into, into, into high gear, right? Um, Jonathan Majors, right, who plays the He Who Remains character. Um, the best way I could I could sum it up, right, because I actually watched the episode twice, right, is satirical Shakespearean. That's the best way I could describe it. 
like he's he's acting like he has the knowledge of being a thespian. You know, I mean, he knows his way about, around. You know, doing the Shakespearean bits, right? But he adds this sort of slight hamminess, this sort of like wink, you know, like just tongue-in-cheek humor, basically, you know. So it it comes off like at first, like to the entry, they're like, okay, he just kind of just winging it. He's just kind of bullshit the truth. Yeah. But I like that. I like the fact that is is just so unpredictable. Now. And like he says it in midway into the episode, he's a jerk, right? So he just comes off like, yeah, I knew everything that you're going to do. But, you know, at the same time, I kind of fed up of all this, you know, fed up of this old time stuff. So, you know, and again, and this is why I love the idea of Loki actually meeting versions of himself. Eventually, when you when you when you spend so much time in your head, you know, it, it could kind of feel like you you know you're going off at times. So that's why he kind of feels like, he, he, oh, how how to be just please him. In my opinion, it's like clearly he was in this place for centuries and centuries. And he's just so fed up being on his yeah. own. So he's just like he kind of talking to himself, but he's talking to other people yeah. at the same time. That's why he's yeah, always like this, and you know, he'll always kind yeah. of go back to being who he is but he has to be a little theatrical afterwards I mean, at, at, like that at first i was a little iffy about how jonathan was played it because i thought like it was just improv it's like oh well you know the script says just be loony and crazy but when i watch it again i was like oh, okay now i get what's going on now you know what i mean it's it's just that whole like idea he's been by himself for so long so it's like you know he's just going off there you know what i mean so yeah, I thought that it was a great performance from him overall. And I like the fact that this is just a version of what variant, I should say, of the real character that we get, right? Um, now, I don't know everything Kang the Conqueror-wise, though, but I do like the idea that, oh, you know what I mean? If you kill me, you could get to run the show. But, um, you know, sorry, if, if, if you, you could just basically like just take my spot. But if you kill me, um, other infinite amount of variants will basically come in my place basically i just love the right. idea that oh well now it's seen that all these other films that's going to come afterwards now it's going to follow right after here and for me i thought that was like a bold move mcu wise right because i make the you know this be the comparison when like um you know the dc stuff the tv stuff where you know we always make the argument that you know the tv stuff why, why the tv stuff never connects to the movie stuff right like why we only had that that one episode of crisis on infinite and we saw both flashes from the TV and the movie. Like, that was, like, the only instance, right? But here's just like, well, yeah, we, we're going to do the complete opposite now. So, you know, TV and movie stuff, similar, right? It, it's all connected, right? It's a bold move. I know for some people, it might be like, oh, God, so we can't just, like, watch the shows and treat them for what they are. Now, now you want to connect everything, so they have to watch every single thing. It's the MCU, guys. Yes, of course they want you to do that, right? But yeah, I, I just love the fact that it's just setting up what's to come in the, not just with the next season, but with the other, you know, films in um, afterwards. So, no, it's not an action-packed episode. And no, it doesn't end. It doesn't, like, tie everything up. There's still a lot of, like, threads, narrative threads left, you know, open, right? But I just like the idea that, boom, it's this guy... And oh, y'all, y'all should y'all should take note of this guy because shit gonna get real from this point on. And even though that now with the with the final shot now, which by the way, yes, is inspired by the end of the original part of the apes, where um but, Loki is goes back into an old into yeah. what we think is a real timeline now is actually another one, right? Uh, and yeah, yeah. it's more, it, it, it more inspired by not the original part of the apes movie, but the original part of the apes book. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, I should say. You know, the dreaded, with my opinion, uh, oh, Tim God, Burton. The, 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 the Tim Burton. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Ugh. Yep. Yeah. 
yeah. So to answer your question, Alice, it's kind of designed to just throw people off. It's it's the architect scene from the Matrix Reloaded, where right. somebody's coming to tell you, oh, you think this is where it's going? No, I'm going to tell you what's really going on. I'm going to just real play around with your mind now, but I'm also right. going to be testing you a little bit. That's why he drops the whole, well, I guess, to, to reference the Matrix Reloaded choice, right? You know, you can either kill me or just, you know, take my spot, basically, right? And right. just just quickly before we get to you guys, um, Sylvie's decision though, like, okay, like I I, I get story wise they had a play out like that, but again, like you know Loki, okay. like Loki is telling her just think about it, just give it a minute, but she's like no no no, you know what I mean in a sense that, and I felt it could have right. developed that a lot more. She could have been a little bit more like all right. Like no, I don't well, see it, the show should have stopped uh, and spent five minutes with them de- deliberating, right? But she really shouldn't have just jumped the gun just like I, I kinda well, get uh, story wise though. But she just yeah, jumped I'm the gonna, gun. That was like more one gripe though. I, no, I no, actually yeah. don't I, have an issue with it. But uh, sorry, I don't, go I, ahead and yeah. tell Yeah. No, yeah. So uh, in defense of Loki. So in sorry, in defense of Sylvie, right? Um so Sylvie is not some current trying to close down a black hole business, right? It's not that, right? <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It's it's um you could understand, okay. So, yeah, that's, uh, how the working metaphor of what this character is and the TV is basically our interpretation of power, right? When you have a system of power, and usually if it's a system of power, you have a system, it's usually a very corrupt system. We have to have a price to, to pay to get it. And and I do recommend a short story, I recommend to anybody to understand the situation. Um, look up a short story called The Ones Who Walked Away from Omelas by Ursula K. Le Guin, right? And what that, what that is, is a system of, look, you have a big price to pay, but if you decide to change it in any way, the whole thing will come crashing down. So either you have to either maintain the system and accept the, the flawed nature of it, or destroy it entirely. And from Sylvie's perspective, being a victim of it, her attitude is, fuck it, you know, burn it all to the ground, burn right? And, exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And then our, our, and then our Loki's attitude is that, well, no, you know, this, this price might be a little too high. That burning might, you know, it might, you know, the burning might keep going on, right? And that's why I interpret it. It's a very, very difficult argument to have when it comes to debates and 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 it's all discussions in the world, like actual politics. It matters. It's a really interesting ethical dimension to go with it. And I, I, that's why I like the end more because you know the, the Willy Wonka figure. You really see how deadly and serious the situation is when you think about it. Um, but I, I I love her 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 perspective and her decision makes perfect sense to me. Um, because yeah, from her perspective. This whole thing corrupt and she only suffer under it. She's she doesn't really see any upside to it at all. That's all defender in that sense. That's it. Um yeah. Okay. That's all you know. I, I, yeah. yeah, I understand. All right. Well, I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about the, the finale. Just thoughts on the finale before we get to, to return. As long as I know summer was jumping in there. I don't know summer mm-hmm. wanna go. Oh no, well I, I listen, um, I was just saying, first of all, I love the costume change because Kang's original costume is ridiculously stupid. They did the Thanos thing. They did the Thanos thing. Yeah. Like, they, they made a lot okay. of smart changes. Like, what yeah. it looks like. You know, how to how to take this goofy bullshit seriously. And yeah, I, I like what it is. Exactly. But again, his outfit, yeah. his outfit looks more like the scientist version than yeah. the other version. Yeah. But what yeah. what you see at the end in the... In, in the and when when um we call Loki comes back to the alternate TV, that that yeah. looks more comic that accurate. Is the yes, that does look more comic accurate. It really does, yes. Yeah. So that I guess accurate, that would be yeah. the 
the version of him that would be the conqueror, and that's what right, we see. Right, so, right. That's what we see. Yeah, right. looks like he has an upside down bowl on his head, something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I did. I did like, like I said, I had no issue with uh, what Sylvie did because Sylvie's experiences is not Loki's experiences, you know. Exactly. And I also, I, I yeah, I also don't think that too make her change her mind because the guy in the relationship says this is what we should do it doesn't work you know in that in that respect at least um jonathan's performance yeah it was unhinged and it was goofy and it was weird but it fits in with somebody who is supposed to have been as alive and has seen and know what he knows i mean all that yeah all that knowledge would make you insane no matter how you touch it yeah and he had this almost um, at that final moment with Sylvie. It was just to me, he, he played it perfectly in the sense that it was like, oh, yes, yes, it's all over. It's over. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, like he was relieved. Yeah. You know, yeah, he was suicidal from the minute they walked into that room. You could see it all over yeah, no, his they, face. Yeah, um, yeah. His, plan, his plan was to have them run it. Remember, remember he get Miss Minutes to like kind of bribe them at the end, you know? Um, right. So, yeah. Yes. His logic was the two of them together, given her power set, because she's the only person who had the ability to deal with Alaya, right? Um, mm. And so her, her power set and his power set together would, would have been perfect to like run the TV in her, but he can't do it. He can't, he can't hold this up anymore. Like that's basically yeah. what the plan was. Right. And that's why, at least that's how I interpreted what he was planning to do now. Like either you destroy it or you maintain it in your own way and you could have, you could have everything, but you know, she didn't care. It was, she had to burn the whole thing to the ground. She didn't care. Right. I, yeah. I, and we saw that too from the perspective of, of the people from the TVA who had their eyes open. You had the ones like the Mobius and um and Hunter. They were like, no, right. well, just you can't yeah. take people's free will. But here's Ravona. Right. Uh, you're learning that everything that I've ever worked for is a lie. Then I am right. going to find who has the source of the power, and I'm sticking to my guns. I'm sticking to this. Is this must have yeah. a purpose? This must have a reason and it's it all of that you know you get to see everybody's side of where they stand there well i, yeah. I know the character of ravona is supposed to be the lover of kang the conqueror in the comics you know so yeah. we'll see how that plays out what timeline yeah, she ends she's up supposed in to be a princess yeah. or something so that's uh, that no, in the comic, yeah. no no well, she, she's a judge right no no in the comic yes she's supposed to be this princess oh, character yeah. Oh, okay. In this, yeah. in, in this, it was interesting. What it, it, her origin story in this was that she was uh, just like a prince, a school principal or something like that. Um, yeah. But what was interesting is what year she came from, 2018, which is the year of the snap. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's a pretty interesting call I felt, um, and that that worked in its own way. Um, but yeah, I I felt as I said, it it had a couple of um, the pro- well, this is my last point, and you could probably go and read it. Um, you're not you're not sure how much the the um the pandemic interfered with the thing because you could tell that they wanted to put in a lot of other stuff and they looked like they had to cut a lot of stuff to be honest. Um so I'm not sure what they, what they would have done here or there, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah. All right, well well Julian uh, well you know Julian first said Tracy, um any you know quick thoughts on the finale? like what y'all thought about it? Yeah. Um I thought it was good, but um I wasn't blown away by it. Um, I actually really enjoyed Jonathan Major's performance. I think it was a real subversion of what people were expecting. It's like, hey, some big comic book, you know, villain. <laughs> it's like, no, we're going to show this kind of, as you said, kind of quirky, uh, half-crack Shakespearean character, you know. 
And yeah, and I, I enjoyed him throughout. I think he kind of made the episode for me. Um, I understood why Sylvie did what she did, because I, I think the, the it was kind of the two journeys where Loki was able to kind of move past his past, and Sylvie was mm. never able to do that. She was stuck forever in her past, so she, yeah, she could right. yeah. past it. And she's like, yeah, I, I, this is my, this has been my mission since I was a little girl to burn everything down, and now's my opportunity. I don't care if the world burns, but you know, I, I have to do this. And but I found everything after kind of post um, her killing, he remains was kind of like a kind of slow denouement. It's like you know, could we get a little like the whole branching timelines? Could uh, I find I could use a little more visuals, a little more. You know, something, some pep and some bigger. Yeah, I mean, something to make yeah. us like really, really like frightened. Uh, uh, like I was expecting to, to see something really thing. like apocalyptic now, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. just like bangs going, you know? And then yeah, I was waiting. Yeah, and then yeah, I was waiting for the post credit scene. I was like, hey, season. Two. I was like, no, 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 no. Your post credit scene can't be no season two. No, 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 no. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I need yeah, to put that at the very end, you. Like, we wouldn't mind that. Yeah, the, 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 the decision the decision they made with that I thought was smart, which is like, look, all we need to know is that Latina different TV. That's it. Like, that's all you need to know. That's enough in my opinion. It's like, oh, yeah. shit, this version of BS and, and B15 doesn't know who he is. Like, okay, that kind right. of thing. Right. Uh, Tracy, well, you know, thoughts on the, the final, uh, just, sorry, quick thoughts on the, on the finale before we get to return. Alright. Um, so for me, I didn't really think of it as completely unhinged i for me it was more of manipulative so i come to you as uh i come to you as like this slightly loopy character and you think you have a measure of control over me but in an almost luciferian kind of sensibility i uh, listen i i kind of know how things going to operate here I am legitimately manipulating you to do what I need you to do. Because he says this very important thing. He says, you know, if you kill me, um, if you take over from me, then you can return as benevolent leaders, etc. If you kill me, I will still end up coming back here. There will be a war. Things will happen. I've, so I will still come back here. So in any event, he's still going to win. What I think is going to be, you know, hilarious is that is going to be like the process in which he wins, or the, the journey to see if he gets back to winning. Um, so for me, that was just joy. I, I loved him there with his apple doing the whole monologue. I did get that um, uh, Matrix Architect scene. I must be one of like five people in the minority who actually enjoyed um, that whole soliloquy with, with, with the <laughs> I architect. I enjoyed <laughs> I love it, actually. <laughs> the, the, so, so, for, so that whole Neo thing was joy for me. Um, there were a few payoffs in the finale that I was like, yes. So for me, Miss Minutes always had uh, a Sally vibe. Sally from uh, Oblivion. You know, the voice, the, the, the robot voice who uh, is oh, manipulating oh, everything. Yes, 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 yes. I, my goodness, I didn't even put that together. So and I, I love that movie. I, I like, we, that movie. we have that DVD somewhere. Put it on. <laughs> So for me, that that's where I, I go, where she's concerned. So to have her kind of just come and boom, scare you in front and realize who she's actually working for. Uh, so that's one. Two, the whole um, good place reset, that yes. for me was really good. I, I really liked the idea because now they don't, you know, he doesn't know. And I was like, holy, sh you know, 
shirt balls or whatever it is she says. Um, <laughs> so that whole good place vibe was vibes. I have this theory that Ravona Rensselaer is going to become the villain for season two. And I say that because I was watching how, in essence, I think she's going to be the Sylvie. I think in this timeline, she's going to be the one burning things down. Because now she has knowledge. She has eaten of the, let's call it that, she's eaten of the fruit and she has, her eyes are enlightened. She has knowledge of how this thing works. She says she's going in search of free will, which means she's going yeah. to go in search of Kang, oh. which means that she's going to go power. to try and again yeah, for the, for the yeah. power. She's going to try and take over, or she's going to try and kill the man in charge. So now you're going to have a new TVA, you know, where Loki and and Mobius. I, I I'd love to see how they explain that whole scene and and Hunter B fifteen has to go and hunt down this person who may very well turn out to be Ravona Rensselaer. So I am legitimately, um, I am here for that. I, for one, enjoyed the, there's something scary in the understatedness of just seeing, hearing the thunder and seeing the lines erupt. Because we know, we know that there are at least three movies that are coming up that's going to give us a hell of an explanation as to what's going to happen. Because if Spider-Man comes out in December, and for all intents and purposes, we know that it is Sam Raimi's Doc Ock, and it is it is it is Electro coming into this universe. That's going to be a whole play, and Doctor Strange is in that. And then we know Multiverse of Madness with Nexus beings and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be interesting. And then Ant-Man and Quantumania. Um, and there's a theory that in the first Ant-Man when uh, he's in the quantum realm, there is a city there, and there's a theory a that it is actually, yeah, a, a Chronopolis, which is yeah. um, Kang's place. I, for one, am very excited to see where his selves show up. So I kind of, I am ready to see Iron Lad. Um, right. Iron Lad is, is is Iron Lad is a version of himself who decides as a young person he doesn't want to be this way and basically becomes a hero. So Iron Lad, I'm looking to see Rama Tut, which is him back in the the, oh, the yes. Egyptian days. Yes. Yeah. Um, we already got also a version of him that decided that it, it, it actually helped them defeat the Kang, the Conqueror version, and went back to being Rama Tut. I think yeah. that's what I, happened. Yeah. Scarlet Centurion might have been that one. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But so there was a version called Scarlet Centurion, but he eventually gave yeah. the title and uh, kind of yeah. uh, so, uh, so from so from where I sit, what this does, what this opens up for Jonathan Majors, is going to be this kind of which movie will um, will he appear next? What is the next uh, Kang? What is it? Cameo. But that and I'm, we could bring him in. Well, we can now really uh, fit in the Fantastic Four properly if you're going to uh, bring characters like Rama Tut and stuff. No, but yeah, yeah my, my big sticking point is that he's Nathaniel Richards. That's the character. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. In some versions, Nathaniel Richards is not only the, not necessarily um, the descendant of Reed Richards, but could possibly be the descendant of, of Dr. Doom. Doom. And yes. That is what I'm excited for. So it's like, yeah, and Doctor Doom is the main instigator of Secret Wars. So eh, we can get some. I don't know. And then a lot, was... of, it, a lot of it is nerd hype. So like a dice one or two. Like, you know, it's it's more catering to people like me and if, if whether or not you tell another story. But yeah, I, I still like. 
I think it's like it was uh, one of the episodes, one of the episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier where they were passing through or around Latvia. And I remember looking at it and just thinking, oh, so you're going to just randomly drop Latvia and there's no idea of Doom or anything like that. But then I think of Iron Man 2 with a map of Wakanda. We never got that until, like, what, 12 years later. So that's a thing. But in terms of, of, of how this season and uh, this season ended, I'm quite, um, I'm quite pleased. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with it. I, I'm loving Loki's journey. I agree with Sylvie. Um, so, like in terms of it, that measure of distrust and single-mindedness, um, I could see her actually saying, "Okay, you know what? I I can't trust that there might be something better, but I can't trust you anyhow." And I've come this far, and I've come this far, and I'm not going to let anyone, not even you know, having affection for. Uh, myself falling as improvises um get in the way of getting the way of that and there's one last thing in terms of um this final episode that worked for me uh is the as much as there's the idea of two masters there's the idea for me of watching the doctor the master and Rasilian. So Rassilian is like uh, 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 the, the like the, the the chief time lord, and he's the one who's been more or less pulling the strings. And he has like he's on the head of the council, and has like the big old outfit and all that kind of like weird gold and red outfits and that kind of stuff. And there's an episode of Doctor Who. Um, there's a whole thing in Doctor Who with Tenet, uh, David Tennant, and uh, the Master John Sims, and they you know dealing with. Uh, with Rassilian, who is the head of the council and, you know, the coming of the drums and all that kind of jokey scene. And there's something about seeing um, Immortus, Jonathan, Jonathan's character in the finale that just sort of reminded me about that. All in all, I'm very much excited about it. Um, and I wait to see where, what next they're going to do. And, and I also wait patiently for my brain to come up with other theories of everything else, you know, that's happening. So I'm good with it. <laughs> right. So Alice, um, I would recommend like rewatching the, the the finale and then listening to what we just said there. Hopefully it should make sense, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. But for me, rating wise, I'm gonna go with a strong four a very, very light four and a half out of five, man. Um this is another win for the MCU. I love the fact that it's different, it's very profound, it has a lot to say. Um, it, it play it it it's it's a thinking man's MCU show, but you know it still gives you you know the, the the trills and you know the humor and you know the flashiness and all that kind of stuff. And just the mere fact that it was just able to just open up the door for for so much more in the MCU way, I just think it was such a bold but a very successful call on their part, man. So yeah, season two can't wait for it. I don't know what we're gonna get. I don't know how the other films preceding it are going to impact it, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll just file towards the reader. Um, well, listening to what you guys said, and from what I've tried to gather online, like read some information on Kangli Conqueror and so on, um, I would say that uh, Loki, um, to date is the best one that I've watched. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm gonna give it a, a solid eight out of ten, and I am. Very excited to see what season two is gonna bring and what the rest of the MCU universe has to offer us whenever they start to come out. 
All right, uh, Julian Reeton. Yeah, I agree with Alice. Um, eight out of ten for me. Um, I had a you know a, a few little pacing issues with it, but I think overall very well done, and and definitely the MCU's most ambitious series thus far. Yeah, uh, ambitious. Yeah, that that's the right word for for this show. Uh, Tracy Reeton. Ten. The end. <laughs> okay. Wow. I had, had a mind so. Had a mind so. Uh, Ricardo. <laughs> Ten two. Ah, <laughs> uh, not ten. Uh, around a, around a eight because I say the episode five was a disappointing. Uh, you could have do more with the episode five. Uh, but other than that, yeah, pretty good. So eight for me. All right, and summer, you're written. Eight as well. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, folks. So those were our thoughts on on Loki. Um, I mean, I mean, I would, I would say by now, if you if you having, I know some people who actually have like Marvel fatigue right now. You 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 may want to just kind of hold off for it and try to avoid as much spoilers as possible, and then jump into it. But when and if ever you do, prepare to have your mind blown, especially the fact that you know again the door has been opened for so much more possibilities going for the MCU. But yeah, this is another hit for for the you know for Marvel Studios. Uh, can't wait until you know uh, what if comes out next month. So in between time, um, there's no Superman Lois to, to to finish watch out. Maybe Flash season seven. I, I maybe I don't know. No, no. Watch the last three episodes of the Flash because sorry, I know we're talking Loki, but I was having a quick discourse with a friend of mine, and I was like, "Where was this Flash for the entire of season seven? Because the last wow, I, mean, I know, right? The, the last two episodes and then the finale is coming out next week, and I was like, "This, this is what Flash is." Where was this flash? I, but anyhow, that's another thing. So yeah, watch yeah. my last episode in the season, and you're good to go. Yeah. So all these superhero fans, um, junkies out there, man. Yeah. I mean, now that Loki's done, I mean, yeah. See what the CW's been up to, <laughs> and then we could jump back into to what if come next month. All right. And last but not least, let's finally talk about Space Jam: New Legacy. Um, this is the Newest film to come out from Warner for their 2021, you know, slate of films, right? Um, and this is the official sequel to one of, you know, <laughs> the film treasures of the 90s, boy. Like, when you talk about 90s nostalgia, one show that always pops up, comes to mind is the first Space Jam movie, right? Um, and just to get to the first Space Jam quickly, I, I remember seeing this when it first came out in, in theaters. I think all of us probably saw it in theaters or maybe saw it on TV afterwards. Um, and I mean, it was, it was a big deal. I mean, at the time, you know, um, Michael Jordan was like the biggest thing, you know what I mean? The biggest um, athlete in the world, you know what I mean? So seeing him in a live action movie with, you know, animated characters, in this case, in Looney Tunes, was like, you know, a match made in heaven, right? Um... And you know there was a lot going fit, right? You know it was Bugs Bunny, you know it was the Looney Tunes, right? It was it was uh, Michael Jordan, and you know for me it was only later when I realized, oh, it's actually based off of this Air Jordan commercial, right? So that's where it all sprung up from, basically, right? But yeah, back then it was a big deal, you know. The big song was, you know, um, <clears throat> I believe I can fly, you know, what I mean from you know him, yeah, he 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 who shall not be named, sorry, yeah, and you know that that was just all over this movie, boy. So you kind of had to see it. Looking back at it, no, because um, yeah, I, I did, I did rewatch, uh, recap it, you know, before going into New Legacy. Um, I don't want to say it doesn't hold up though, but it really is a product of its time though. Um, from the jokes, from the references, because you know, there's a moment like the reference pulp, pulp Fiction, 
And like it's only like a few years after seeing this movie. I was like, oh, that's where they got that from. Oh, wow, you know what I mean? Um, Michael Jordan's acting, woof. You know what I mean? Like he was just kind of just there, like, you know, I'm, I'm Michael Jordan. People like me because of my face. I don't even need to try that hard, man. You know what I mean? It, it's just uh how to say it in, in long story short, it's an elevator pitch. That's that's what it is. It's an elevator pitch. That somehow, you know, uh, I say Marvel, uh, Warner was like, you know, Warner Brothers was like, you know what, let me, let me just do this because people like the Edge of Nance with, um, you know, Bugs Bunny and, you know, Marsh, um, Marvel the Marsh and all that stuff, right? So let's make this thing, right? But ultimately, really, it is a film for millennials, you know what I mean? If you were a kid back then, you would have enjoyed it. Um, looking at it now, though, is like, uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> But you know, but it still holds a, a, a little spot, a little soft spot in our hearts, right? For better or for worse, right? So going into this one here, boy. Um, huh. But before we get to that, though, um, uh, Ricardo, just your 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 quick history with you know the, the first Space Jam movie. Yeah, I uh, as I say, I, I've been semi-ironically a fan of it. I call it a masterpiece. Um, semi-ironically, but yeah, it it is a that works um, for what it is. It's a very strange entity. I remember the time just being so blown away by it. It is, again, it's a product of the 90s. Like, you can't replicate something like that. And this movie does not do that at all. Um, in the sense of what it meant as a pop culture artifact. This thing, this person called Michael Jordan, that is incredibly popular, making a movie that's about this legacy animated characters, and it's so weird, right? And with... The original, I was like, I remember just like finding it so strange and it's very silly. But it's at the same time, it's like, wow, you can't believe this exists. It's so weird. Um, but true, yeah, true. I semi, I, I, I semi-ironically love it. It's very silly. It it works kind of without a lot of like dumb bits in it. But it's and it's incredibly incoherent. But at the same time, it has a lot of like subtext of what it's trying to say. And I'm gonna talk about. I mean, it's a shame that we can't get a longer, deeper conversation about this because the person that they got that should have directed this, and well, he wrote the script, uh, was kind of the perfect person to, to deal with something like this, given his, his history. Um, but yeah, I I feel like have, all I'll say is that with the new one, I didn't completely hate it, but there's a lot of missed opportunities. But yeah, the original is, is a classic in my opinion. For, yeah. for different not for me. Right, right. Uh, understood. Uh, Julian, your, your, your quick history with uh, Space Jam. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I actually rewatched it and um, reviewed it. Um, actually, I think they, uh, actually been last year. Oh no, earlier in the year when they brought out the Space Jam Two um, trailer. And right. yeah, it's it's and as as Ricardo said, it's an odd movie. It's a weird kind of sports kind of comedy cartoon kind of hybrid. And actually, um, the, actually the best part of it, actually the Looney Tunes stuff works. The Michael Jordan is so wooden. And so awful throughout. Um, some Boy. of the effects that they do are kind of weird. Um, the soundtrack, oh, I'm, I'm not always big on soundtrack, but this soundtrack is awesome. That Hit Em High is. song. Hit Em High is, is like, it, it yeah. slaps. It slaps. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to bring up Hit Em High with my, you know, thoughts on the new film. But go on. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, it's as, as, it's, as um, Ricardo says, an artifact is a, a completely thing of its time, and you kind of have to go into it. Um, but uh, re-watching it, 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 it really doesn't hold up that well, other than kind of playing on your, your nostalgia. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Alice, your, your quick history with um, the first uh, Space Jam. 
Um, sorry. If, if, if you um, hate it, it's okay. Yeah? It's, it's, it's yeah. okay to hate speech. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I really only have watched it in my youth. Um, I rewatched it as an adult to kind of wrap my head around, you know, getting ready for this um, podcast. And I felt the same way. It's neither here nor there for me. It, it, I, I love Looney Tunes. Don't get me wrong, but Looney Tunes could stay in Looney Tunes um, by themselves without Michael Jordan or LeBron James, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, the best movie for me that morphed like the real world with Toon characters is still Who Framed Roger Rabbit. For me. Of course, of nobody, course, yeah. Yeah, nobody has been able to touch that that film since. And um, yeah, I yeah, honestly, yeah, it's neither there nor here for me. The old Space Jam man, well, the new one when we get into it, well, you'll hear my opinion on that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tracy, quick history with the first Space Jam, and then we'll get to summer. So here, here's my memory of Space Jam. I'm in high school. It, we have a some kind of random test or SBA that we had to do. So I'm at my friend's house. We queue up two movies that day. It was a weekend. We queue up two movies to watch. One was Warlock 2, um, which, as you wow. know, a, a huge horror fan. I, I haven't seen it. I remember, I remember um, someone mentioned it uh, at yeah. some point in mean, the podcast. Technically, I, it's not a sequel. It's a remake. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, true. Uh, so it was it was it was Warlock two and it was Space Jam. Uh, that is a weird combination, and y'all know how I love horror. But for some reason, I sat down and I watched it and I enjoyed it. I actually so here's the thing: looking at thinking about this new uh, Space Jam legacy, and thinking about uh, the original Space Jam. I, I will I will just throw this out. As much as Michael Jordan wasn't an actor and it was kind of a whatever that was, I was looking at it and I was thinking, but Jordan felt like, I don't know if it's because I got older or what, but at least with the Jordan one, it felt as if he was a measure of acting. I didn't get that with this one, but we will talk about that later. Space Jam for me was just real fun. Um, when I watched it. I haven't actively thought about going back to watch it again. However, I did forget that Monica's For You I Will was played inside this because yes, it's which was also a smash That's, back in 96. It was a smash. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole the whole uh, Bugs and Lola love affair and Monica singing For You I Will. I could live with that. I, I, was, I was down for it. Um, Coming into, so for me, Space Jam has a nice little soft spot in my heart. There's a lot of memories attached to it. Obviously, joy. Um, coming into Space Jam 2, I guess, um, I really, if I didn't have to, if I wasn't here or if I wasn't like mildly curious, I probably would not watch it. In uh, that, I have a friend of mine. I have, <laughs> thank you very much, Sibeli. I have a friend of mine who, you know, wanted me to watch another um, animated film. And, uh, you know, everybody's telling me that I really must sit down and watch it. And I bypassed that to watch Space Jam Legacy. And for me, you know, there are things in there that is kind of funny and inside jokish. But, you know, I, I don't I don't have that much feeling for that one as opposed to 
the original Space Jam. I don't even really know if I want to go get the soundtrack. And you know how I feel about soundtracks. So yeah, I'm 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 gonna talk about the soundtrack for for you know this movie here. Uh, but last but not least, um, some of your your quick history with the first Space Jam movie. Honestly, I watched it as a kid. I absolutely loved it. Then I never rewatched it ever again. I haven't seen it since. Um, and I watched this because we were doing this. <laughs> it's not that You're I welcome. would not have watched it. It it yes, I would I would not have rushed to check this out right now. Um, but after seeing it. I still would not have rushed to see this now. So we'll get into that. But that's basically my history, short and sweet. Um, I remember how big a deal it was back then. I love the Looney Tunes, but um, I, I still remember Jordan's acting as being earnest, but not good. And um, that's about the size of it. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I will just do like a quick summary of what this new legacy is about, and then I'll just jump into my thoughts, and you guys will just come in afterwards, and when we, you know, share our ratings, right? So this one, uh, well, uh, you know, instead of uh, Michael Jordan, you know, what I mean, this time it stars LeBron James, right? You know, what I mean, very, very likable NBA player and whatnot. I mean, one of the best players, arguably, in NBA history. I mean, bar none. Um, we we see his fictional family actually. So he has, you know, what I mean, a, a, a young daughter who we hardly see in the film. Um, two sons. Well, the younger one is is more in focus. Um, that would be um, Dom, and uh, well, his older son, basically, you know, what I mean, well, basically, he's good at, at basketball, right? They both both they both good in basketball, basically. But the the younger kid. He actually want he's actually interested in computer games, right? He wants to get into gaming, right? So there's this little subplot where he wants to go to this E3 summit, but you know, the dad's like, No, you need to go to, to basketball camp and all that kind of stuff. It's like, Dad, you don't understand me, and you know, I'm into computers and shit, blah blah blah, right? And it's all off of something from what LeBron went through from his childhood about him being into games, which is something that caught me by surprise, because yeah? my pull out old, you know, um, game boy. I was like, What you know what I mean? Like I had one of those late in life, whoever. Right. So I was like, no, 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 it's not about games. Like games is a waste of time. It's about, you know, the basketball and getting better at it, right? So one thing leads to, to the other and he gets invited to well the Warner Brothers studio, right? Which yeah, caught me by surprise too, right? Because it's like, yeah, we we gone it's gonna be all Warner Brothers guys from from, the, from seeing the water tower like it's not just that you have to see it in the opening where you see the, the the logo no we have to show you the actual place itself right this is where the show going right and it's about discussing this movie deal right and in the process um it's about something called warner 3000 so it's the idea Ooh. that you you create a virtual um version of yourself basically right and what's odd in this movie now is that you take some corporate people who came up with it, but actually it's an AI and, you know, a self-aware AI by the name of Al G. Rhythm, right? Who is played by Don Cheadle, who, by the way, is currently nominated for an Emmy for appearing in Falcon and Winter Soldier for 98 seconds. Yeah. Think about that moment, right? Think about I, I don't understand. I don't understand why this he can get nominated for Don Cheadle. Uh, well, well. <laughs> anyway, right. So, Al G. Rhythm now is like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to be, you know what I mean, um, loved and all that kind of stuff. And I want people to know that I'm smart and great and awesome, right? But, you know, the, the, the people, the studio people is like, no, this idea is shit. We don't like that. And he's like, no, you know what I mean? So, but he, he has his eyes on, on LeBron, right? And specifically, he takes note of Dom and his passion for, for computer software and all that kind of stuff. So, long story short, now he kind of 
captures Dom now. And now LeBron now is forced to play a game of basketball now um, to get his son back, right? But the catches now, you know what I mean? It's, you know, the, the virtual world, what do you call it? By the, um, the so, Superverse. So, so, so. Superverse, that's what it's called, right? So, opposed to the last film now where the Looney Tunes reached out to, 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 to Michael Jordan now to help them win against the Monsters now, now LeBron has to come up with his own, you know, crew, his own um, team, basically, right? Which is a really smart call. I'll give him that, right? So he's like, taking, all right, well, there's Warner Properties. So, all right, cool. I, I want to get um, the Iron Giant. I want to get King Kong. I want to get Trinity. I want to get Superman, right? But through some circumstances, he runs into Bugs Bunny, right? And there's a nice little moment now where he's, you know, he's the only resident in Tune Town, right? I think that's, that's what it's called. Because through some circumstances, all the other tunes will call over or at least invited by um by Argy Rhythm to, to visit other worlds, right? And when we say other worlds, we mean other properties. So a character would be in the world of the Matrix, another character would be in the world of Metropolis. Like if you remember from the nineties Superman series, right? Um there's, you know, um characters who are in, you know, um Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, take a while guess who are there, uh, who, which characters are there, right? And it's like that. So Bugs Bunny is like, all right, I guess it's gonna take this advantage now to get my old crew back, basically. And this of course includes Lola Bunny, if you remember she was introduced in the first film now. Um and I'll talk about her in a bit, right? So yes, the, the, the gang is back now and now they have to square off against, well, you know, Algy Rhythm's team. And what he does now, he kinda incorporates what his son was doing, like where you could kinda create your own player now. And he basically fashioned this off of some other like real life NBA players now. But you know, he tweaks them out now. So you know, be one character has spider legs, other character could turn into water and fire, which at first I thought was kinda ass, but it actually was like really, really dope though. Like visually, it looks really dope, right? I'll talk about them in a bit. So yeah, it's this sort of, you know, battle basically, this this big high stakes um basketball match basically. Uh, sorry, basketball game, sorry. Uh between LeBron and literally his son. And I'll stop here, right? Here's the thing with this show, right? So just right off the bat. Um so seeing the trailer, I was like, all right, they 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 they're trying to go the um, ready play a one route where we just threw in a bunch of you know um, references and just bunch of characters and all that kind of stuff, right? So in my head while I was watching this, I was like, you know, it's twenty five years since the first film came out, right? First film was just about you know Michael Jordan and Looney Tunes. That's that's just what it is. But okay, times change here, so all right, we have to talk about streaming services now. And yes, this movie is a full on trailer for HBO Max. That's what it is, right? But I honestly didn't think that they were going to go as far as they did in terms of just incorporating as much Warner Brothers properties as, as possible. They put in the friggin' droogs from A Clockwork Orange, my favorite movie of all time. They're there. And you know, kids, you know what I mean, like 12 years old, up, not even going to know who exactly. these characters are. When you see the movie, now they're going to be scarred as hell, but I love that movie, whatever. But still, they just decide to incorporate all these characters. And it goes even worse. They incorporate New Line Cinema characters too. Because you see, Austin <laughs> Powers characters in the two of them. Like, all right, guys. Okay, I, I understand. I understand. Now, I, you know, the, the, the studio could come and, play and say, like, well, you know, it's just us being satirical. You know, what I mean? it's just, you know, what I mean? just the, how we could access all these great shows and, you know, in your fingertips and blah, blah, blah. But how I just saw it was just this glorified, like, just them just saying, here's what. 
we own all these guys and we're just going to show this off in this my god so first off this movie is like an hour and 55 minutes right first time i saw the runtime for this i'm like why is this movie so long like the first movie was roughly an hour and like 25 minutes right but this one clocks in at 115 minutes so yes it is way too long for its own good but back to the property stuff all right cool you get you get a couple of good bits with the characters in in these movie worlds i didn't really care for the matrix one at all and the fury road one was dope because i love fury road um what what caught me though is with lola being in temascara so they had one woman but you think that they would have yeah. kind of re reuse shots from both one woman and 984 but they didn't do that they use this like i was wondering about that too and yeah. I think they got Rosario Dawson to play the voice. It of is, is Rosario like, Dawson. It looks kind of like, kinda like um, superhero girls um, right. version of, of, yeah. of, of yeah. drawn, as opposed to even yeah. the 90s version. But yeah, yeah. 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 And, and okay. Rosario Dawson is the voice of Wonder Woman in the in the DC, in the um, DCAU. So yes, yes, yeah. Um, and you know, like, all right, this is this is where they go in. Okay, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Just, just an SQ, just a shoehorn all these Warner properties. But it just feels so much like we just have to tell you guys, yes, in case you forgot, Warner is the one who gave you all these properties. Right? So yeah, sign up now for HBO Max, I mean, subscription, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, that's what this is. is a marketing ploy, basically. But while I was watching this, boy, I just couldn't help but feel, and I know some people will come out of it feeling the same way, that it just... It feels shallow, though. It feels kind of soulless. It just feels like we we can't just that have this be. That was the word I was gonna use. Yeah, we can't just have soulless. this be, you know, animated characters playing playing basketball. It can't just be that. We have to throw all these properties in just because we're 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 we're, uh, we're Warner Brothers. And I imagine if HBO Max didn't exist, this wouldn't have been in the final product here. You know what I mean? But all that aside, though, um, how I feel about this, I kind of half half about it like the first first like okay so on the on the positive side though it is a gradual improvement over the first one the story kind of somewhat makes sense and i like the fact that malcolm um d lee who directs this uh really well as just say the writers as well too really went out of the way to say here's what we have to kind of tell a story and kind of justify why things are playing out the way they do so yes, they put effort into doing that. I felt that there was a lot of time building, make, um, leading up to the setup. In, in my opinion, like in the first act, it just kind of runs and runs and runs, and then we get to the to the actual conflict. Like, all right, cool. Um, LeBron James, uh, not not the best actor neither, but he's charismatic. I mean, like when he's on screen, you know, what I mean, he's he, he does his thing. Um, he's he's given more dialogue, like considerably more dialogue than than John never got. You know, in the first film, um, and I like the moments where he was animated as well too, and I kind of like the idea of you know just having the Looney Tunes split up in different worlds and they just all come together and all that kind of stuff, right? And as far as the villains go, you know, we I, I wouldn't like though like Don Cheadle took a while to get to me, but over over time I was like you know what? this this man like clearly having fun, so you know, I mean I, I like him, right? Didn't that not really a big fan of the character he plays, but I like the fact that he was having fun with it. You could tell, right? I like the whole father-son conflict thing, you know what I mean? Like, I wish it was something a little bit more, you know, um, more well-taught-out, basically, as opposed to, oh, you don't want to, you know, want me to go to, to E3, so yeah, I'm going to play against you in a game of basketball, Dad. Like, it could have been a little deeper than that, you know what I mean? But then again, there's a Space Jam movie, right? Um, as far as the game itself, though, 
well, even worse than the first film, rules are just thrown completely in the garbage way. There are no rules to this. People, characters just do things just because, and it just makes no sense. I do like the designs of the, you know, over time, I, I do like the designs of the, the, the bad guys, the bad team, the goon squad, basically. I like the, the character who turns from water to um to fire. That was really cool. But I felt we could have gotten, like, more moments of them using their powers. It was just like, all right, they do this one thing, but now the Looney Tunes have to do some goofy shit. And then, oh, that's how they stop the end, right? And that's it. Um, the music, I felt like the, 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 just the soundtrack. They're like, I felt like the song that they chose for this though, um, didn't work at all. Like, it just held the film back so much because what, what made the first film work though is that, yes, it was 96, but you took like what was the best of like 96 um, urban music and put it into this, this family friendly film now. Yeah, you just get like a couple of decent tracks here, there, but nothing really to remember, right? Speaking of music, there's a moment now, a painfully, painfully awful, uh, awful moment now, involving Porky Pig basically being the notorious PIG, right? Yeah, what yeah, pissed yeah, me off about yeah, this, yeah. right? This was where they was like, well, you know what? We had to kind of pay tribute to the 90s in a sense, so we got to have this kind of rap battle thing. But the song that they chose, though, right, which is Flavor in Your Ear, right? One of the best yeah. hip-hop songs ever. It's like, all right, well, the millennials go like this because, you know, it's Flavor in Your Ear, you know what I mean? It's notorious P.I.G., man, and all that kind of stuff. But no, that scene was painful. It was offensive to me, though. It was like, oh, we, we had a pandit to the millennials watching this as well, too. But I just did it in the worst way. They could have removed the scene. It was so, so bad. And uh, not even going to get to the rhymes. I'm not even going to get to the rhymes. Terrible, right? Um, so as a whole, though, um, I'll be probably mention a couple more things before I get to read it, right? But yeah, other than that, though, um, this kind of feels, it, 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 it's pretty much exactly how it's advertised to be, right? It's not just about, you know, um, a famous basketballer teaming up with the Looney Tunes and going up against these, these, you know, alien-like creatures. No, we have to throw almost every Warner Brothers property into it. And even worse, though, they incorporate them as the audience. So in the back, and they look like just cosplay players. And this in the worst way, in the worst, worst, worst way. So overall, it it is what it is. I know some people look at it as fine as just shallow and whatnot. But to me, it's just kind of want to say, hey, this is where we are right now. We could show off right now. We have a streaming platform now. You know what I mean? Thanks to HBO. So we could kind of do this, right? Yes, it's a shameless cash grab and whatnot, though. And I imagine for really diehard fans of you know the old show, they probably will hate this. But the flip side, no, I kind of see this as something that, you know, if I was a kid and I probably looked at the first film and thought it was, you know, so, you know, um, lame, I probably would have enjoyed the hell out of this. I, my, my mind would have been blown away, right? But last thing last, though, uh, this is kind of like the both strength and weakness of the film now. It is just such an overload, though, of just visuals and colors and imagery and characters, though, to the point that, yeah, you just kind of spaz out halfway and just watching characters just move about just because though so it's it's like taking you know it's, it's like this weird mix of you know uh ready player one and you know the old um uh space jam and just all these weird pop culture stuff and just blending it together and just expecting you to enjoy those so you know you, you, you kind of sip it at times but then it's just like you know what i'm i'm good i'm good i'm good you, you didn't have to give me 115 minutes of this right so sorry uh, Ricardo, what's your what's your thoughts on on just this movie as a whole, man? Yeah, so this was kind of uh, is a mix between Solo and The Lion King. 
like it's that feeling I had with those films where right. it 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 had potential. It's not the worst idea remaking it, but you had to do something with it. And well, as I said it when we talked about the trailer, yeah, they should have got Terrence Nance to direct. Because he wrote the script, he is he's credited with writing the script, but he didn't direct and it to me it kinda showed. I felt it it just it's I didn't completely hate it, but I really felt they could have just done so much more with this. Like it was like, oh, just a bunch of wasted opportunities with the jokes, a bunch of wasted opportunities with the story and possible social social commentary. Um you know, that's that what I was expecting it to be because, like, um, there's a movie earlier this year that I thought nailed the whole modern algorithm stuff really well, and that's, um, you know, Mitchell's versus the machines. And I yes, felt we could yes, have got yes. that, that, that type of social commentary with the material, and we didn't get that. Yeah. Uh, no. even, even with the, even with the, um, with the father and son story, they could have done something with that. Um, and we didn't really get any of that because that, that, that whole um, dynamic was, was potentially interesting, which is, oh, sports versus, uh, you know, sports versus video games and, and what to do with the future. And then you could have the, sub- the subject of the internet influencing the sun because of what algorithm is. All of that they could have do and make it more interesting. And we didn't get that. It has, it's the lowest common denominator, the lowest possible effort with the material. And that is what we got. And it's unfortunate because I thought this had potential Maybe as a sequel, if if you know if if in the right hands, and it, there's a there's a decent movie in there buried in all the bullshit. That is the unfortunate part. There's a decent skeleton of a movie in there that just didn't get a chance to flesh out. Unfortunately, so that's all for right. Uh, Tracy, your 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 quick thoughts on this experience. <laughs> I got a list that I had written down, um, so I'll just kind of go through the list. But to, to two things that uh, you were saying earlier. One, um, in terms of the references that the kids would, n- the kids may not necessarily know. This is accurate. But I also feel like we live in a world where every everything is a breakdown on the internet. Um, all those pop culture references that you would have missed and somebody will do a breakdown. Like for me sitting down and seeing a little clip of Casablanca and Sam, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I get that, but I'm not every one of them, but like a 17, 19-year-old, 21-year-old may not know half of these references, but they will go up on YouTube, mm-hmm. somebody will do the breakdown, and that might inspire them to either go and see it, ironically, or just for the sheer fun of it, on HBO Max, huzzah. Um, I agree with you guys in terms of the father-son dynamic could have been better, because the, what I got out of it was LeBron was present but he's not present. So he's present physically, obviously, because he's a family man. Huzzah, he loves his children. But the idea of if it's not basketball, I don't really have a way of connected or I'm not interested in any other thing that you have to say. And because Dom is not feeling as if he's being heard or seen um, outside of this is basketball, then... Uh, you know, he goes and does his his own thing, one. And then two, it's, it could have been a commentary as well on parenting styles. You have the coach, you know, the, the, the coach from the, from the beginning who's like, you have to dump everything else to focus on basketball. And then, you know, growing up for him, that would have been a real accurate thing. Now you have, you can't, you know, run your children the way how you were taught um growing up you have to figure find a, a balance for your kids and that i'm going to agree with ricardo on that one in terms of there is the idea that there is a great movie inside they just get all sorts of randomness 
for me, um, I had some questions like, how much did they pay Don Cheadle? Um, and by, <laughs> by, you know, by extension, how much? I got a lot for this. I would not doubt. Between he was Don Cheadle. He was chewing up scenes. Right? He was chewing up scenes. Between, <laughs> between him, Zendaya, and uh, Sinequa Martin, um, Sinequa, uh, I mean, that is Michael Burnham. So that's, you know, that's Walking Dead. Like, you, you have a caliber of actress with her. So when you bring a, an actress like her um, into something like this, I looked at it and I thought you could have, honestly, you could have done the Tyler Perry thing and get a relatively, um, a, a talented but relatively unknown black actress to play yeah. his fictional wife. There is really no, it's like my friend Renee was asking me, why did they bring Steven Yen into yeah, this Yeah, why was he like this? Why was, was, was Sarah Silverman in this movie? You know, it's a, it's although, a feature. It's a feature. Yeah. The, 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 what I did like about like maybe having Sarah involved and the idea of Algie um, coming up with all of Warner's ideas is, you know, I sat down there and I laughed my head up. I was like, oh, so that's how they work my DC scripts. You know, right. because they have an algorithm who's just doing stuff inside there. And then, you know, like in the days of Sujahara, um, which I will not go into a rant about, but when Sujahara was there, you know, you would hear reports about all sorts of things going on inside there, whether it is the Warner Brothers scripts that was just horrible or any other number of things that was happening inside there. Now that Hamada came, well, when Hamada came on board, things started to flow a little bit better. So the idea of Algie running Warner Brothers legitimately or literally was one of those inside joke things for me that I always find was hilarious. Um, when Dom gets, when Dominic Dom gets uh, digitized in the beginning, I was like, okay, I could see how they can use this to make a static shock um, Show movie, oh, assuming, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like seeing him the digitize effect. and stuff like that, yeah. The effects of it, I was like, this could be interesting. Um, I actually have a, a line here that I have in my initial thoughts. I was like, no, I will not be getting this soundtrack. Uh, because for me, it, I, I had the same feeling that I had with um, Spider Verse, and Spider Verse was a soundtrack that I love and I actually have it. But in mm. terms of, I looked at half of the names and I was like, who the hell are these people? I, I don't know. Little this so, so you don't know. You don't know who Post Malone or Sweeney or Gene Smith is. I think no. Listen, honestly, there was some names that I saw inside there, and I I wasn't a, a Post Malone boy to begin with. So I was like, what is this? But I listened to Spider Verse and I was like, oh, I like this. And then I got to hear a little bit more from them. But, or rather, go look for more of them. But I seen some little Yati and stuff like that. I was like, I don't know if this soundtrack, the one good thing I, I give in terms of music wise, and it's not even on the soundtrack, is that it made me go back to Remix, uh, Remix Maniacs. They had done a trap version of the actual Looney Tunes theme, which is played for like 10 seconds when the Looney Tunes are coming down. Um, after they get their shit together and they decide what they're going to do. Right. That, for Oh, me, that, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, 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 that one musical moment was, was dope, though. I'll give him that. And so, you know, that made me go up on YouTube and, and, and look at it again. So that was a thing. The, the other scene or uh, issue, I should say, that I, I have with it is that 
I mean, I'm sitting on there watching this. Mom loved it, by the way. She just, she was like, you know, this is, she liked it. She didn't really have a problem either way. But I sat on there and I was like, this feels like an after-school special that I would have watched growing up. So, you know, there's a there's a line that uh, Gideon says in, um, in, in Scott Pilgrim versus the world towards the end of the movie, where he's like, are we done with the hugging and learning? Um, and that's the kind of feeling that I have. Are we done with the hugging and the learning? I get it. I get it. I, I get the fact that, you know, LeBron, you know, need to upgrade his father's skills. And I get that he wasn't there for you. And, I, and there's a lot of I guess, but it wasn't hitting home. And then circling back to a comment that I made at the beginning of, of, of this discussion, it made me think a little bit more on Michael Jordan's acting and whether it is that he was surrounded by both the Toons and Bill Murray, I felt like looking back at it, maybe Michael had actually acted quote unquote a little bit more because I looked at LeBron and I was like, you may be a very good personality both on and off the field, but I do not sense like it wasn't acting. So it's not that I didn't it's not that I hated Space Jam Legacy, but um, I don't know if it's one of those movies that I will even do a rewatch. Um, yep. You know, today I sat down and I watched Gunpowder Milkshake and I, you know, it solidified my my view that, OK, yeah, that's what I should have been watching all weekend. I watched Pig this weekend and Pig was Ooh. amazing. So, oh, you know, uh, uh, put a pin on that. Um, I'm, I'm, I really, really want to talk about pig. So, yes, folks, look yeah. out for pig in the next episode, right? But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, um, no I, I'm good. This, That's it for me. This, right was, yeah, this was a waste in my opinion in terms of just like rewatchability. They have nothing to talk about. That's the problem. It's just a lot of references. That's There's the problem. Nothing. And and well, okay. So just just before we get to um some of thoughts um thoughts, my thing is that okay, you're true in references, but a majority of them just don't land it you know what i mean like okay just have one or two like a like i keep going back to the to the free road because of how for me just how unexpected and how the characters that were there fit but everything else was just well a majority of you know the other you know gags and all that kind of stuff was just like all right well okay it's funny because it references this so it's funny that because it references that but that it that that that's not funny it's just a reference to make in there it's not really a clever one actually it's just oh well what if the looney tunes were in here whatever it is Anyway, uh, some of your your quick thoughts on the on you know a, a new legacy. Uh, well, <laughs> listen, like I said, I don't think I would have watched this anytime soon if it wasn't for you guys. Um, and in watching it, that opinion has not changed. I, I I don't regret seeing it, but it's one of those movies that I don't ever see myself rewatching at any point in time. Uh, when it comes to LeBron's acting, I was surprised it was so stiff because he, that movie he was in with um, Amy Schumer, I think. Oh, yeah, Schumer, um, Trainwreck. I haven't seen Trainwreck, but I keep hearing he was really good in that. quite funny in that. And, you know, I don't know if it's the director he worked with gave him better cues, but here he didn't seem to know where to put his eyes, so he never really looked like he was looking at any of the characters which of course would make you disconnect and you'd be so aware that this this person is standing on a you know and on a backdrop with a green screen you know um the best work was actually when it was the animated version of him when i couldn't see his face then i felt like i could connect with what he was trying to say uh, and do 
you know, so maybe he should just have stuck to voice cast and stuff. Um, the 2D to 3D stuff was a bit jarring. I didn't really like the look of the Looney Tunes characters in the, the 3D models. Um, I, I get what they were trying to do with modernizing it and stuff, but it didn't work for me. And like, guys, like you said, this is one giant ad for Warner Brothers. It's like they were kissing their own asses with this entire movie. At get past much of that was going on here that it didn't even even ready player one is a love letter to fans of video games and and pop right. culture mm-hmm. this is warner brothers being a fan of warner brothers that's all yeah. that is all yeah. i got from this you know um and can we talk about how terrifying don Cheadle was as an animated character i don't know what that was, but I, I it yeah, didn't look that. Was it was awful nice to face. look at. I was watching it, but I just, it just Cat didn't work. It was, it yeah, was on really Cat Cat. terrible to look at. Yeah, so yeah. this is, this is not something. No, I don't have a problem with that because it's like it's in a computer anyway, whatever. Um, yeah, it's but, fine. But it could have looked so much better. I mean, it just didn't but, look every, it just, I don't know. It, it didn't mesh together with everything else they had going on. And I couldn't stop looking at it and thinking of how terrifying it was. Yeah, that that was a complete missed opportunity because I felt like here's the thing with this. I get a feeling that they couldn't like use much from the previous Space Jam because to me the perfect opportunity was like, oh, make John Tiddle the final form look like the original monsters or something like that. Now. Um, yeah. right. Oh, by the way, speaking right. of that, they had the they, goal they, to have the smaller versions of the yeah. monsters, like the original yeah, looking sure. monsters, just there. Yeah, there was yeah. just because. Yeah. Yeah. And what? And as as as, yeah. as someone who grew up in the first film, what, how was supposed to feel seeing that? Come on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's yeah. the point of that. And then they had another joke involving the original, which I thought could have been a great, like they could have used that smarter. Oh, I know you talk a, about. A, it's such a, it's such a like it's such a waste of a good joke now because like yeah, I boy. knew what I knew what kind of joke it was gonna be like yeah what if they do blah 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 like it was a comment on the internet like I knew that joke was coming but they could again is delivery and ex- and an execution drill. agreed Jeez, agreed man. this is the four out of ten for me um with even with all that money thrown at it you would think I would fall at five but I I am sorry I can't do better than four on this one this this was a train wreck. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I surprisingly I didn't hear the movie. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. It is a gigantic, you know, over two hour long, well, I think almost two hour long, um, love letter of Warner Brothers to Warner Brothers, um, which is I mean it's really cynical, but it it kind of I did enjoy certain parts of it. I mean like the Matrix stuff is like oh god, are they still making Matrix jokes? I mean, wow, you know, but some of it I like, I mean, seeing the Herculoids in the crowd, I was like, Herculoids, I mean, what the heck? I haven't seen those guys in so long. So, I mean, so so some of it kind of played on the nostalgia, but it was way, way, way too much. Um, I, I actually didn't mind LeBron James's acting. I thought, I mean, it was way better than whatever Michael Jordan was trying to do. And I actually liked that they actually took the time to say, well, okay, we're actually going to have a story with a message. I mean, yeah, it's an after-school special message, but I mean, it is a message that they're actually trying to do. And even you had, even Bugs had his own arc of, well, okay, let me get my, my Looney Tunes family back together and I'm going to sacrifice for them. You know, we know, yeah. Well, I know he's not going to actually, you know, be dead at the end. 
So yeah, and I mean, I think I think some of the humor hit. I agree with the soundtrack. Soundtrack was a waste. There was like a, a little moment where they were playing um, Onyx's Slam. It was like, yeah, and by the time I started to get into it, they cut to something else. I was like, what What the heck? Yeah, the I, I honestly missed that moment. Eh? That, that's yeah, to show how, how so underwhelming that soundtrack was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't mind Don Cheadle. Uh, I think he, he seems like he enjoyed himself. You know, right. that's a lot of fun with it. Um, I, I think the Looney Tunes stuff, I think, was better in the first film. I think their right. humor really shined as much as it should have in this one. And I thought that, and they had this whole thing with um, Lola and she was training to be Amazon. And then they had this thing with the, the snake lady kept wrapping her up. I was like, do we not have a, a moment where she kind of, you know, conquers the snake lady? It's like, hey, I'm an Amazon. It's just like, yeah, right. that kind of went nowhere. You see, you see, you see they uh, forgot in, in all the insanity they forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think I think I, I enjoyed it. I mean, for what it is, I think it's a very good movie. Um, I think it's probably a, a little, and it is a too long movie. But I think children watching it would enjoy it. And I think some older folks might be like, "Hey, laughing at the references." Um, kind of a one and done for me. Probably in 10, 20 years, I might do a retro review of it. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I don't hate it. So yeah, five out of five for me. Wait, wait, you, you said five out of five, huh? Oh no! Sorry, five out of ten. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh okay. I, I want to know. <laughs> I, 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 I want to know. I want to know. And last but not least, Alice, quick thoughts and reading on. Well, yeah, quick thoughts and reading. Okay. Well, um, I'm with Summer on this one. I, I don't think I would have ever watched this movie if it wasn't for you guys and for you, Mark. But <laughs> I did it. I bit the bullet and I watched it. And in looking at it, it reminds well. Actually, I can't really say this because I've never done acid before. But I think it, it's like one giant acid trip that makes <laughs> no sense plot-wise or anything like that. I really and truly, there were better, there are better, far better movies out there with um, parenting tips and all that kind of stuff without having to use the, those kind of crazy references. I, that I just did not get that movie. Um, the runtime was way too long. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I just that movie just did not sit right with me at all, at all. And I even I, I agree with you with with that disrespect with the notorious PIG thing. That that was messed up. That really yeah. was something they should not have put in, in, inside that movie. I remember looking at it like, what the hell, you know? That's, yeah. No. No. Just no. <laughs> so so for me, um, yeah, that is a one and done. Never going to watch that movie again. And I'm gonna give it a one point five out of ten. Ooh. So yeah. yeah, this this is clearly a contender of worst film of the year for you, man. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I did not like that movie at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I will give this uh lighter decent two and a half out of five, man. It. I mean, see, see it if you want to see it. I, I guess if you're just looking for something fun and bright and colorful to to watch, um, especially with with family, I guess you could watch it. Do this this is one that that's gonna appeal a lot to you know to to Gen Zers for sure. But you know, for for the millennials who grew up on this on um on the first Space Jam, they might find themselves kind of betrayed by this. Um, it, it, re- it just really kind of lacks the 
the spirit now of the first film. Now, I understand we're in different times now, so the show had to kind of play out the way it did. But even still, like, you know, a majority of the references just there just to show off, oh, we have all these properties, ah, all this IP, ah. And it's just a lot of style, a lot of style, but just not enough substance to justify its 150-minute runtime, in my opinion. So, you know, I, I, I can't really say that this is a better, this is better than the first film. Like it's it's more I would just say you know better me I would see a lot more ambitious than the first one. But in no way is it seen that it's a better film in my opinion. Uh, Tracy, final quick final thoughts and rating. Uh, final thoughts and ratings. Uh, what did I give this? I gave this. I had originally given it a five. Yeah, let's go with five. Five out of ten. It was between a five and a six, but I'm I'm gonna give it a five out of ten. Like I said, I didn't. I didn't hate it, um, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I don't have any residual, I don't have any residual hatred or anything out of it. It it sort of just solidified in my mind the idea of some things are just not for you, um, mm. and so this was this was one of them. I like to give things a chance, but this was one of those things. I think I you know. I, there, I, I go back to what Ricardo was saying. There might have been a really good story underneath here, but nah. Um, I'll, I, I more will probably go back and watch the original Space Jam, um, or just watch you know Roger Rabbit and Truth, and done yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we we just really That's seen a lot though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Ricardo. Last words, written. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, as I say, uh, uh, you know, it's a shame that Terence didn't get a chance to a direct and b have the creative freedom that he could have had for this. Um, as it was, it almost almost none of it works, to be honest, because one of the big problems with it is that Space Jam works as a cultural artifact. It's a different time of filmmaking, different times in terms of promotion and marketing, and that's what sold Space Jam: the soundtrack and all of the hype and all the, mm-hmm. the stuff around it, not the film itself, right? And yeah. now you want to make the film. So technically, as a core film, it's slightly better than the original Space Jam. Slightly. Mm. But because slightly, none of that, yeah. none of the extra stuff like sticks or, or sticks with you. And and this this also applies to LeBron James himself as as a figure in basketball and in and in history, right? He's he's nowhere near as big as Michael Jordan was. You could get I'm not gonna get into some debate of you know if LeBron is the goat or if Jordan is the goat or anything like that. But the simple fact is that he he's nowhere near as interesting as a as a cultural figure as what Jordan was back um 25 years old simple yeah right uh that's pretty much it and it's a, it, but as i say they could have done something interesting with this and it's a colossal waste right and with that we come to the end of another episode of bbb radio um well you know in the process you know um both summer and julian had to step away but you know again thanks you know i'm just sending thanks to to you know send, send my thanks basically to them for coming through for this particular episode um, Alice, thanks for coming through. No problem, Matt. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, I had to put you up, put you through this movie though. Um, same, same thing with you, Tracy. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I would have probably gone through it at some point in time I, I, in my life, but it just wasn't there particularly. But still, good fun. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Ricardo, thanks for coming through. Next week, for sure, we have to talk about Pig. That is on my to watch list. So definitely, for sure, we had to watch, um, talk about that. Um, Superman Lewis for sure Flash maybe because oh, yeah. I'm I, I'm taking Tracy and 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 Alice's word that it gets significantly better near the end. So yeah, you know, we can talk about that. Near the end, I'm trust me on this one. Uh, 
a flash review on on my page once uh, I get to the season finale, so I could just do a roundup of it. Okay, I I haven't even yeah. started as yet, so I I I'm gonna jump into that. Well, basically once I wrap up here. And yeah, that's pretty much about it. So until the next one, take care, stay safe, and then out. Peace.